Forum Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North, citizens of the globe. Welcome. Good people, brace yourself for some hard lessons in reality as we today divulge lesser-known facts of the Great Reset, the current attempt by the neoliberal elites to implement global corpocracy and enslave the masses. You will come to understand that the greatest threat against liberty, democracy and free speech is corruption, which has never been so rampant and widespread on earth as today. Seeing as most honest statesmen, bureaucrats, media people has been purged long ago, and as incompetence is awarded and dirty players fail upwards, well-groomed criminals, unfortunately, has seized power. Of course, it's impossible to say that this decay started a specific time and place, as history is a never-ending continuum of actions and events battling each other out onto a larger trend emerges. Yet, some threads are redder than others, and today we will look at a few lowlights of the timeline of this worldwide neo-fascism. Here's a few examples of what to expect. Now, that's so interesting because people have speculated it had to do with UFOs, it had to do with JFK, it had to do with Antarctica, but it actually has to do with this. Well, it, all those things connect. Yeah. The mistake that Eisenhower made in all of this was he authorized the CIA to um, be in charge of security and therefore financing for Area 51. Mm. And the CIA just went dark and wouldn't report to him about what was going on. And so one day he called them and he said, I want you in my office with a full report tomorrow. And they refused. And he said, if you are not here tomorrow, I am flying to Colorado, getting the first army and I am invading Area 51. Jeez. Exactly. Yeah, so Cynthia McKinney was fearless in trying to out the missing money. She she grilled Rumsfeld in testimony and trying to out the sex, sex slave trafficking, which mm. was very related to the missing money because you can't, you know, it's control files uh, that really help you engineer that kind of major movement of money. Exactly. So she went after Rumsfeld on the missing money. She went after him on the sex slave trafficking. Uh, you know, when they really went after her and tried to get her unseated, she got unseated, then came back in, but then they got her unseated again. Um, but she was very courageous and fearless about that. And and the great thing about Cynthia was she understood, you know, you can't have a human society if you keep breaking that line. Mm. If you allow your system to be run by organized crime, you know, you're not going to have a human civilization. You can't, you know, there's certain mm. things you can't do. Daesh, which you guys call ISIS, ISIL, is a creature of the American deep state. He actually said this publicly before he, he, he ascended to office. And that's his death sentence, politically speaking. So I disagree with you. I think that that okay. was dangerous. Yeah. But I think Sidney Powell explained in this podcast what was his death sentence. Okay. Okay, let's hear 
Yeah, let's hear it. It turns out he was planning to do an audit of the intelligence agencies. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. Wow. And we're going to have to fight back. Or we're going into slavery because they've yeah. had, since, since the 47 Act, you know, and moving the Nazi loot into the Exchange Stabilization Fund, they've been able to get away with it again and again and again. And we keep yeah. all pretending it's not happening. But yeah. at some point, organized crime takes over everything and you have no law. Exactly. And, and today, the word for organized crime is multinational corporations. Right. Yep, that's Catherine Austin Fitz, president of the Solari Report and Solari Investment Advisory Services, and our guest tonight. She has a lifetime in finances with an MBA from the Wharton School of Economics and has even studied Mandarin at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. She's well equipped to reveal the dirty affairs of our ruling elite, having a career background in business and banking, among else Goldman Sachs. Fitz served as managing director and first female member of the board of directors of the notorious Wall Street Investment Bank, Dylan Reed and Company. She was president of the investment bank and financial software developer Hamilton Securities Group and has actually even served as federal housing commissioner as well as during the first Bush administration, Assistant Secretary of Housing at the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, which, by the way, is a much larger and more important department than most people assume. She has designed and closed over 25 billion of transactions and investments to date and has led portfolio and investment strategy for 300 billion of financial assets and liabilities. She's been a board member of innumerable schools, banks, councils, institutes, committees, clubs, churches, associations, and commissions. She founded the excellent magazine and website, the Solari Report, to offer a unique perspective on how to navigate the opportunities and risks in the global financial system and political economy, also taking heed of the black economy that otherwise breaks down most financial models. She's a regular speaker and frequent guest on the various radio talk shows and podcasts, runs her own blog at Solari and writes columns for Scoop Media. In recent years, she's been a frequent lecturer at the Secret Space Program conventions, offering a unique economic context to these shady affairs. She finally returns to the forum to share deeper analysis of the missing money phenomenon and the globalist oligarch agenda. Please note that this show took two years to come to light, as it was one of those that had to be restored. You will notice that, amazingly, Catherine was super early out, informing us about what then was pure obscurities, but now has become matter of facts, like, for example, the role of BlackRock. Also note that, in retrospective, I've had another hit with my prophetic analysis, this time regarding protests and uprisings and how they get corrupted, uttered six months prior to the January protests, mind you. 
Also be aware of a potential misunderstanding in general when we discuss looting and looting parties today. We're referring to the crony capitalists plundering the state and the white economy. In other words, your wallet. But at the end of this show, we do also discuss actual street plunder in relation to popular protest demonstrations. Today we are revisited by Catherine Fitz. Welcome back to the show, Catherine. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it is. And especially, I wave at you across the North Sea. <laughs> yes, especially now that we're on the same time. Uh, yeah. You're in Europe awesome. again. Yeah. Have you become a European citizen <laughs> since last time? I came here at the beginning of February, and I'm in the process of starting a company here with our Dutch partner. And we're in the middle of the process, and it got shut down because of the COVID restrictions. Right. And then right. – um, so so we kind of got stalled, and now I want to finish. I don't want to leave until I have the whole process through. So I'm going to be here until mid-October. But aren't you stuck anyway? Can you leave? Well, you can't. It's inconceivable to me that anybody could be stuck in the Netherlands. That's like saying it's stuck in heaven. You know? that, that's where you want to go when you're stuck. <laughs> well, but I'm saying, you know, if you're, if you're going to be uh, thriving – in this period, I'm about in about the best place in the world to be. Yeah. yeah. So no, I I don't feel stuck at all. I feel very lucky to to be here and to be doing with the people that I'm doing this. You know, I'm with some of the most talented, creative people. What would be the alternative? Which American state uh, are you from? Tennessee. Well, I grew up in Philadelphia. I live in Tennessee. Tennessee. So okay. I live in Elvis Presley. Wherever I go in the world, since not a lot of people are familiar with Tennessee or Hickory Valley, Tennessee, which is, you know, a tiny farming community, I always say, I'm from Elvis Presley country. And everyone, no matter where I am in the world, say, oh, yeah, we know that. <laughs> yeah, everybody. I've heard about Tennessee. But when I try to picture it, like exactly, it's southeast something or mid-east. Right. So I'm... I'm about uh, three hours southwest of Nashville and an hour and 15 or an hour and a half east of Memphis. Mm. So I'm 10 miles above the Mississippi line and I'm about an hour's drive. I'm an hour east of the Mississippi River. Mm. But the state is Tennessee, not Mississippi. Right. Mm, right. Okay. So I'm. I don't know yeah. too much about that state, but. Um, I'm assuming since you're living there, it's a nice place to live. It's a very nice place to live. Mm. It's a very, it's a very, well, how can I say? Tennessee is a very grounded state. Our nickname is the volunteer state mm. and everybody volunteers. It's incredible. Okay. Yeah. When that works, that's beautiful. Volunteerism, I mean. In fact, my country. <laughs> I've got to find the mute button because I have to be able to, oh, here we go. Yeah, I hope it's not it. COVID coughs going on no. there. You, you know, these days when people cough, everybody gets nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, sounds like a dry cough. Uh, no, it, it's funny. It ha I think it's electromagnetic. It happens sometimes when I get online on things like Microsoft. <laughs> right. I hope you're not using wireless. No, 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 no. no, no that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, um, I guess, uh, yeah, did you know that Norway is partly built up on voluntarism, despite being like 
very strong state and right. lots of taxes. We've also been, we have a word for it, our own word for it that's not translatable, but like everyone is expected to partake in something we call dugnad. Yeah. If you are in a, like a childcare, um, in schools, in local communities, everything, everybody knows what that is. So it goes a poster up. Oh, it's dugnad. You have to come out and work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody's got to pull in and yeah. and help. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the things I love about where I live is no matter what's going on or no matter whose business it is or what happened, everybody knows to pull together and help. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So they haven't crushed that American spirit yet in no. that place. No, no, no. We're going to get uh, partly into this actually related area. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> here's an event we have to touch. Fire at the New York Federal Reserve. Oh, you wouldn't believe <laughs> when that happened. I have to tell that story. That was unbelievable. Yeah, I heard. I think you told it to Dolan. Yeah, I, I heard you. Yeah, you have to repeat it here. <laughs> I just, you just, you can't make this stuff up. No, it's right from a cartoon, man. <laughs> I know it's really from a cartoon. That's that's perfect. Without black humor, it would be much more depressing. Yeah, uh, Pharrell is very good at that. Yes, recognizing the ridiculous. Well. I I, the way I say it, you have to stay in a state of amusement. Mm. Do you know my favorite cartoon was we made a cartoon and it's two faces of Bill Gates. It's in the homepage cartoon rack. If you go look at it mm -hmm. and on the first one, it says, you know, people are accusing me of going to give vaccines without human trials. And then the second face says, what do you think Africa's for? <laughs> and, and so then, you know, so it was a spoof on all the people he'd killed in Africa yeah, yeah. with vaccines. And India, by but the way. But then yeah. it came out that Moderna was, in fact, doing trials in Africa. So we republished it. Right. And it was so perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, cause I, I saw another one with Bill Gates, where, which was like, that's a meme, very good meme, uh, where there's a bunch of poor African children behind him. And he has this vampire look, but it's it's not a cartoon. It's yeah, right. uh, you have to see that it's been all over Facebook, and and after I, I think India's banned him actually for doing more vaccines there after they right killed almost a half a million yeah. or disabled a half a yeah. million kids. Yeah, horrible. Ugh. Um, you know, stuff has changed since last time. It looks like the Solari site is completely open now. No. It used to be, okay, but there's much more content here than last time I was on. Yeah, so what we try and do, we have special reports, which we make public. So whenever we do something that's really pub important for public uh, policy, so when we interview a government official or whatever, we try and make those public. So mm. if you look at the special reports to if you go down below the tune past tips and tricks and Twitter feed, mm -hmm. you'll see special Solari reports and those usually are public. Right. And there so we go. try and make yeah. So every week we try and do a tune, but then every week we do a poster oh. at, that's designed to attack on the missing money issue. Okay? Yeah. But you know these um, posters are excellent memes. Yep. Memes uh, are important in the propaganda war. Yep. So uh, the, these are stuff we can use as banners on Facebook or something. Yeah. And all of these posters basically – so 
uh, I'll give you an example. If you go down three, oh no, go down two since you're doing your taxes. Yeah. So it says, let me see, taxes due ten thousand, offset for missing money, sixty five thousand, credit forward fifty five thousand dollars. Right. So the missing money is sixty five thousand per person. So the one below that is a picture of Obama. Mr. Obama, is it okay to engineer twenty four trillion of bailouts? And have six point eight trillion disappear from federal accounts when a black president does it. Black lives matter. <laughs> black lives matter. matter. White lies too. Yeah. Federal so, financial fraud is an equal opportunity crime. But but this is so it's sixty five thousand dollar per per capita. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you're doing your taxes. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine if it, for you it would be six hundred and fifty thousand dollar kroner. So keep going down because we're also because the words are so dishonest on the COVID. So if you go down to the one with the teddy bear, contact tracing, track and trace system designed to justify kidnapping of children based on unreliable tests of invisible virus. Yeah. See also Trace Force Epstein Network adrenochrome. Right, right. Yeah, that's the story by itself. You know. <sighs> uh, here's uh, a good one. Since the start of the COVID, 50 million have lost their jobs and American billionaires gained 280. This is the stuff I want to talk about because, you know, this is... Um, I was t thinking we could go through the timeline today, uh -huh. but the last weeks I've been thinking about this. Well, we're going to touch upon a timeline, but I think when I have you here now, after everything that's happened, and there's barely any main, at least back in 08, the mainstream media covered the looting. But now, Americans have no idea what's going on, and it's going to impact the whole world. Yes. Mainstream media isn't covering this crisis. Uh, well, but they're not media. We should stop no. calling them. The, yeah. So the propaganda organs are churning out propaganda. They're not yeah. churning out what's really going on. Mm. So I think we should spend time talking about the depression we're, we're basically in and how they have been on a looting party and all that stuff. What do you think? So I, w I wouldn't call it a depression. I'd call it the Great Reset. Actually, that number is now up to $530 billion. American billionaires have increased their net worth 20%. Yeah, but if you consider that they've pumped a trillion a day into the stock market, if you uh, and, and there's been a lot of the stuff that happened last time, um, what you call it, uh, buybacks, bonuses, oh. Uh, oh, there's like a, many terms about how they enrich themselves from the trough. Yeah, I got it. L let's just uh, delve into this now then. Okay. But I want to start, kick off this conversation into you by asking you, it's a kind of a stupid question, but I have to ask it because the answer gives itself. But just to make a point, I want to ask you, how does it feel to be vindicated? Um, I, you know, I don't really feel vindicated. Really? Yeah, wow. and I'll tell you why. Um, yeah. When I started to litigate with the U.S. government, uh, basically what they had done uh, using working with a whistleblower, they had basically targeted me with a series of – it was hundreds and hundreds of lies. Yeah. And um, – you know, and the lies just kept coming, and it was quite a sort of a strategic process over 11 years, both by building a website. We put up all the tens of thousands of 
of legal documents and documents proving, you know, again and again. And and one of the ways we beat it is we just over-documented everything to death and they just ran out of lies, uh, you know, or the ability to counter the lies. So, so I, I went through this process of 11 years of defeating the lies and I, I, refused to settle i made them go to court because in court you have to you have to prove your allegation you have to create evidence you can't just smear and not have any evidence plus you get it on record even if the judges are corrupt it's all on record right and what happened was they started when i refused to settle and i insisted they had to go to court they started poisoning me and playing really, you know, it got very, very dirty. And I was insistent, no, you're going to have to go to court. Well, we finally went to court. And it was funny because we walked in, my my, my attorneys were so overprepared. Mm. And they'd been fighting this for seven years trying to get into court. So they walk and they're totally overprepared. And the other team, you know, it's their job to put up their accusations. And they have nothing. They have absolutely mm. nothing. And the judge is furious because it means he's going to have to rig it. He's screaming at them. And on the other side, you had the whistleblower's lawyer. Then you had HUD lawyers. Then you had the Department of Justice lawyer. They're all screaming at each other. Yeah, and but after- hang on, hang on. What This was before Obama rolled back the whistleblower protections. Didn't you enjoy any of those? No, I was the target of a whistleblower. A lot of the times the whistleblowers are dirty. They use dirty whistleblowers to go after clean people. But you are the definition no. of a whistleblower. No, I was not. I was the target of a whistleblower. Yeah, I hear you say that, but but in reality you are kind of a whistleblower, aren't you? No, no. You were on the inside, you came out with what you knew and what no, you learned? No, I was on the inside and I got hired to clean up the fraud by the government officials who were working there at the time. Mm-hmm. I was successful at cleaning up the fraud. And then I started to publish Community Wizard and finance communities with equity, and it was successful. And so if they were going to have a housing bubble and and increase the fraud, they had to get rid of the clean government officials and the brains behind them, which was me. Mm-hmm. So they pulled together a phony baloney whistleblower and targeted me as being quote-unquote corrupt. Mm. And that's why I had to prove and document, in fact, that it was quite the opposite. Okay, so if this hadn't happened, you uh, there would never be a conflict between you and the state? Well, there would have been, because what we were doing was showing how neighborhoods could get healthy again and make a ton of money for the pension funds. Right. In other words, the economy could work. Right. And if you're trying to do a financial coup and bust the economy, then you can't have people like us around, yeah. you know, making the economy work. So the problem with me was but, not... But, but why don't you feel vindicated after... So that's... I'm, you're you're going to let me explain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just re-staring us back there. Okay, yeah. okay. So, so there I am on the last trial on the first day, and my attorneys turned to me and it said, oh my God, they have nothing. I said, mm. I've been telling you that for seven years. And they said... Well, they just, we couldn't believe the whole thing was a bluff. I said, I've been telling you for seven years. <laughs> so, okay, so so the trial ends. Essentially, we win. The judge does a dirty on one count. The other 9,000 counts, you know, are proven, whatever. The judge does a dirty, in fact, on something that a judge in a different trial had said we were right about. So it was kind of a funny thing. Anyway, um, and and then a process began where the whisper campaign came out 
well, you know, she's really dirty and she's really guilty, but they couldn't put forward the evidence, you know. Mm. And the whisper campaign started. Not only did it start, but they paid people very close to me, including family, to be part of it. Wow. And it went on and on and on. And finally, so this, you know, by about 15 years, I realized, oh, the central bankers need for me to be wrong. I can never be right. Mm. And so, so then a process began where I just said, well, you know, something, I don't care. I'm just going to say and do what I believe is best. I'm not perfect. I'll do my best. Mm. And I started to, we started to publish the Soleri Report in independent media. And then what I discovered, Al, was that the independent financial media and I disagreed strongly about what was really going on and what individual people and families should do about it. Yeah. So that turned into a five to 10 year, very uncomfortable process where the people who I thought were going to be my pals <laughs> mm-hmm. were saying, she's wrong, she's wrong, she's wrong. And so that process is now over. And it turns out I wasn't wrong. But the result of those two processes, both with the Department of Justice and the media or then the independent media is uh, it's not important to me to be right. It's important to me to be useful. Mm. And it's very important. I hate to say this, but I have a mama bear complex. And my <laughs> subscribers and audience are, you know, my job is to protect them. No, because they're, mm. they are so worked over. There's so much risk that is unnecessary. Oh, yeah. oh, and they're subject to so much harm from disinformation. So, my performance metric is not in my right. My performance metric is, you know, you know what I mean by the popsicle index. Is the popsicle index going up? And the popsicle index is not going up. Mm. And so from my standpoint, I've worked my whole life to re-engineer the financial system so the popsicle index can go up. And it's not going up. It's going the wrong way. So, uh, and frankly, I don't care about being right. I care about you know, I care about the bears living a free and inspired life. Yeah, well, many people care about truth, but I'll tell you for the. No, I, know, I I care about truth, but you know something, the the Mr. Global. So Mr. Global is my nickname for the committee that runs the world. Yeah. Mm. The committee that runs the world. One of the things they use on you as a hook is the need to be affirmed and the need to be right, and so you've got to destroy that desire in yourself right right you have to destroy the desire to be understood you have to destroy the desire to be vindicated you have to destroy the desire to be yeah, right yeah. and you need to get in the business of getting the popsicle index up no i understand fully i mean it's like right. if you watch dr phil you'll see it on a personal level he often attacks the what he called the right fighters because in our psychological perception when people are very concerned about being right all the time that's right. automatically kind of um makes them suspicious right, right. it looks like there, there's an issue so that's a hard thing to balance you know with truth fighting and sometimes we can be too lost in our own subjective perceptions. I totally understand, for not just for your own health, it's important, uh, th- this perspective you have. But it's also important because <laughs> when you're useful, but actually you're right when you're useful, because you can't, right. you can't be useful without being right. 
Well, but but here's so, the thing, the, you know, because I, I used to have a perfectionist complex, which, thank God, the Department of Justice helped me get rid of. But, <laughs> <laughs> the, but here's the thing. I will never agree with the central bankers. I understand mm. their point of view. I, you know, I could argue their case for them more eloquently than most people, yeah. but I will never agree with them. I will always be on the opposite side. And they have, you know, on any given day, they have a trillion dollars to prove me wrong. And so yeah. the only way I can do what I do is to say, I couldn't care less whether I'm right or not. But this boils down to different values. That's why you never agree with them, because they have very unhealthy values that doesn't isn't shared by the populace anyway, if the populace really knew what was going on. Well, except for one thing. I, I knew a lot of people at the top of the financial community, mm-hmm. and for the most part, I liked them. I thought they were good people. And the question I have is, Why? Why are they doing what they're doing and what are the risks they're managing? Because the corruption is much, much broader and deeper throughout the society than most of us like to admit. We like to say, oh, well, they're the bad guys. It's all their fault. Hmm. And I'm not going to do that Um, because I think it's a lot more complicated than that. But one of the things I know, though, is, Mm -hmm. you know, for the rest of my life, I am likely pitted in a win-lose relationship with them. And, mm. um, and the question I have is why? What's the, what's the information they have about what's going on in the world and our risks that I don't have access to? Because mm. I won't judge them unless I, all my unanswered questions are answered. Yeah. You know, I can come up with scenarios of risks where what they're doing may be the right thing to do. Mm. Uh, but when it comes to the independent media, I have to say, yeah, there are probably some dirty players there because we know after Snowden and everything, we know that Operation Mockingbird is still going on on steroids as far as the Internet goes. And independent media, they have to control that narrative too because it was easier before when it was just the legacy media the propaganda channels that was that's very easy because they're all uh, stuck in a corporate prison yeah but when the internet came and information starting to be free-flowing they had to do something there so we know there are dirty players in independent media but i'd say most of them are just naive because they don't know what you know so most of the opposition you got from there, I'd venture, is just people with different paradigms. And now, right. I hope they're paying attention now, because when I asked you if you felt vindicated, it's to do just to fill the uh, listeners in who are not aware. What's happened since the first time we had you on about uh, the black economy is that Dr. Mark Skidmore and his postgraduate students looked into this and uh, not only said, yeah, she's right, but she's underestimating how bad it is. <laughs> they bumped up. Well, you know, it was it was such a funny process. First of all, I can't say enough good things about Dr. Mark Skidmore. Yeah. What a remarkable human being he is. But, but he has to be tenured, right? Otherwise, he couldn't do this. Is he tenured? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's tenured. Yeah. Also, he, he's a very capable and competent man who does great work, you know, in the other areas of his academic life. And so I think he's highly respected by his colleagues. Mm. And I think he's done a very remarkable job as he worked on this to not mm. let it 
uh, cause him to let down on his other obligations. So I think he's handled it very well. Hmm. And the other thing is when he organized the project, he just said, look, I'm going to survey public government documents and publish what I find about you know, government documents. So it's he's on very solid ground. He's very careful to only do what he can completely document anyway. But what was so interesting about it is that he, um, when he started, he said, okay, I'm going to get the students and I'm going to survey all the documentation. Now, that sounds like a simple thing, Al. You have no idea the brain damage it takes to go through hundreds of pages of hundreds of documents, which is all designed to be as deadly boring. And, you know, the numbers are hard to find. They're buried in the footnotes half the time. Anyway, so it's quite a big job. And I had had the number up to 12.5 trillion of undocumentable adjustments from fiscal 1998 on. So he and his students start going through and they keep finding more mm. and more. And when he published his first report, he had it up to $18 trillion. And then he kept calling me. It was three times and he'd, he'd say, oh, my God, we found another trillion. Mm. Oh, my God, we found another trillion. Mm. And, um, you know, he was really in a state of shock. And it was funny because I said to him, look. I want, before you publish your report, I want to download all the documents and put them on our server with redundant copies on servers, you know, in other parts of the world. We have a network of servers and never in one jurisdiction. And it was a big job to download all the documents, to archive them, to present them online, to have all the links go to our websites, to make sure we had the backups in place and everybody knew where he was. And I have to tell you, he thought I was a little paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. He came from the mainstream. He was like, well, you know, they're just government documents. I mean, what's the Mm. problem? Anyway, Mm. so finally it took – I had one one member of our team really working around the clock for a couple weeks to do it. Mm. Anyway, so so we take it live. Right. And the – both IG's office, not the controller's office, but the IG's office in both the Department of Defense and HUD took their documents down offline at the same time. Hmm. And he was stunned. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. And then we made a big hullabaloo. And I forget one media outlet picked up on it, one real independent media outlet. And it really caught on. And then I guess he described it in Forbes as well. And then you could tell the White House called both agencies and said, you idiots, get it back up. Yeah. At which point they both yeah, because the cover-up is often what tanks uh, these dirty yeah, things, Yeah, right? no, it keeps, this keeps <laughs> happening to me as their cover-up is what gets them in trouble. Anyway, yeah. so, um, in fact, he just is coming out with another report. We did uh, – he did a new report. If you go to missingmoney.solaria.com, there's a new 2020 update, and he's about to write another one, and it's a blockbuster because he has started to dig into the numbers in the treasury market and finding there are some very unusual patterns, which in fact could uh, fit with my theory that they're, you know, they're financing these undocumentable adjustments in part by issuing off-balance sheet treasuries. And the fact that treasuries outstanding are much greater than the actual uh, number listed on the financial statements. Anyway, yeah, so- but it's uh, one thing is his integrity and and professionalism and all that stuff. But I'm worried because they made uh, Catherine Fitzsim, you know, and uh, you survived that ordeal. He may not. Um, oh, he will. It's very risky. What's his do? And what's I'll, I'll, he's tell, doing. I'll tell you why he will. 
he will be fine. And the reason he will be fine is he's a Christian. Mm -hmm. And you don't, uh, this is really about faith. And the faith is if I do my best to have integrity, Mm -hmm. that there'll be enough other people. You know, it's like building a cathedral and all I can do is one corner. Right. But if I do my corner with integrity, there will be others. Right. And that's really... So they can't break him. But they they could, I mean, he could be having an unfortunate accident. You know what I mean? Stuff like that can happen. If he's becoming a bad nuance. I I don't mean to invoke this thing by mentioning it. Right. I don't think that would... He's bold. That's my point. He's brave. I I hope he's careful. I don't think that would happen. I mean, I just think... It's funny. I, I once did a Solari report called How to Tell the Truth and Stay Alive. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look at sort of all the rules of how you tell the truth and stay alive, right. he, he intuitively follows them. Right, um, right. So I just think you have a very fine human being yeah. who, um, who doesn't, who sticks very much, you know, he's a very careful, thorough, conservative academic. Mm. So he sticks to the facts. And, um, I just think if you look at how the process works, I think he's going to be fine. Yep. Now, let me tell you the the struggle that you face when you do what I did or what he did or what all of us are doing. I'm sure it happened to you, which is you have to look. The hardest thing in the world is to look in the mirror and say, I was the patsy. Mm. You know, I didn't know. So in Mark's case, I was a professor of economics And uh, I thought I really understood the economy, and it turns out I hadn't a clue. Mm. And I was the patsy, and I've had to face that fact. And then the second thing is you have to walk around in a world where most people are not, or many people are not interested in facing what you faced. Mm. So it's a journey, and, and the journey can be lonely, and it can be depressing because you had this image of yourself you know you were going to climb up the ladder and be successful and be admired and be liked and earn the respect of your your peers and you were going to be part of a society Mm. and and what happens is you instead you you decide okay well it's more important to me to have integrity to have intellectual integrity and to have commitment to my society and you know that following the path that promotes the Orwellian vision is it's not a solution. It won't mm. it won't lead us anywhere. We're becoming a progressively more and more debased and barbaric society and mm. you can't go along. No. No, and uh, today more than ever it's so hard for people to accept paradigm shifts. But I think in his case it works well because his pride in his profession, in his skill, mm-hmm. is more important for him than his pride in his ego, right? So right. when he sees, oh, geez, I'm, I've been wrong. Some people would, oh, I have to cover this up, right? But that's personal pride. But he's like, oh, I'm supposed to be a professor in economics. I have to get updated. Right. <laughs> What's going on here, right? <laughs> that's so beautiful when we have that attitude in people. That that saves the day. But he has I have a wonderful to- speech he gave. We were up at the Women's Republican Club in a in Michigan, and he gave a speech, and he talked about he he used Greg Hunter as an example, mm-hmm. and he talked about how all the lies Ben Bernanke had told during the bailouts, mm. and then all the awards and positions he'd gotten, 
And then all the truth that Greg Hunter had told and all the trials and travails of being rejected and thrown out of his, you know, out of the, you know, the media profession in New York. And, and so here's Bernanke, who's a genius at, at selling lies, who's getting more and more positions and more and more money and more and more awards. And here's Greg Hunter who's telling the truth, who's being, you know, sort of pummeled out of, out of the awards and out of the money and out of the titles and the way he told the speech, it really sees because Bernanke's an economist and mm. you see uh, here's Skidmore. Who's the real economist. Mm. And here's the other guy who's just a, he's just a fake news marketeer. Yeah. Anyway, dirty actor, but it doesn't stop with academia discovering the truth of the matter, because if it was just that, that would be like exotic and obscure and esoteric. What happened in the aftermath, I have to point out, uh, and I want you to comment upon it after. Okay. What happened is that it started to be picked up by some small independent media like Lee Camp of Redacted right. Tonight. Of course, they don't understand the whole scope of it but at least it's starting to be talked about Forbes you mentioned even politicians like Ocasio-Cortez who certainly didn't understand it fully but she pointed out oh I think they used her to yeah she pointed out on Twitter hey we could have used this money for you know her progressive courses and the backlash she got the backlash because it seems that the way they've sold it to the mainstream public is that no no it's just errors in the it's like accounting errors you have to address this okay and eventually it led to audit of pentagon and uh, we can stop there because I, I want to take it further after that. But I want you to comment on, on the process I've okay. been describing so far. So I think AOC they used to get rid of it. In other words, you tee it up and then you knock it down and you make her look like a buffoon. And then the right wing guys won't touch it. Yeah, which happened. So if AOC is promoting it, then you, you take all the right wing and conservative and Republican commentators. You turn it into a laughing matter and then they won't touch it. You see what I mean? Oh, even the left attacked Yeah, her. no, I think AOC was planted. I think that was a game, and they did it on purpose. Then they had a reporter who I made the mistake of working many, many hours with to help, mm-hmm. who then turned around and did it dirty. Uh, and that was all part of the AOC thing. I think that was all very orchestrated. I, I think she was duped. She wouldn't um, risk her own... Um career i mean she's, oh, she was definitely duped but yeah, but yeah. if you look at who was somebody you, you had somebody in one of the pr law firms working for the intelligence agencies in dod mm. you know there was a project manager there and and they had the whole thing really scripted and were working on it and you could tell how scared they were yeah. in after the big, the biggest swath of missing money was at the end of Obama. Six point five trillion went missing in fiscal two thousand fifteen, mm. and right after that, Lockheed Martin, who was the big payment system contractor at both DoD and HUD, rolled their uh, government IT company out of Lockheed Martin and into Lados. And I'm assuming they're trying to get it off the balance sheet. Oh, so they are behind Lados. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Antarctica well, player. Well, SAIC rolled off a part of their operation into Latos, and then the next year, Lockheed rolled a wow. part of theirs. And believe it or not, right, Latos right. is the company with the big contracts in Antarctica. Yeah, yeah. Cliff High told us all about that. Right, but yeah. Latos just got the big Navy cloud contract. So you have three big government 
cloud contracts. You have uh, Amazon doing the CIA and the 17 intelligence agencies, LATOS doing the, NATO, uh, the Navy, and Microsoft trying to do DOD Jedi contract, but Amazon has still got them bollocked up in the courts. Right. So that's not right. all the way through. But but address this accounting error excuse. Okay, so wait a minute. Let me finish with the – so they roll the $6.5 trillion. Lockheed gets rid of its liabilities by moving the whole thing off into LATOS. Mm. And that's important because remember, sat- Lockheed is one of the big satellite and weapons providers. And if you're going to hook everybody up with the injectable credit cards, you, they have a lot to do and they don't need the liability for the $21 trillion. Okay, but you know, if you look at who did those illegal transactions and who's legally liable, it's, it's the contractor. So it's the IT contractors, but then it's the New York Fed. Because the New York Fed is the mm. depository for the U.S. government. Let's just explain that the New York Fed is is one of the banks that uh, makes up Federal Reserve. Is that so? Right. And it's the flagship because it mm. is the depository for the U.S. government and it runs the Exchange Stabilization Fund, which is the mother of all slush funds. Mm. But remember, many of its functionalities go through the New York Fed member banks who own it or BlackRock now. Mm. BlackRock is very much deeply involved in the global reset, which we can talk about in a second. Anyway, so so Lockheed has gotten rid of its, although the, I'm sure the statute of limitations weren't up by the time Skidmore published his first report. But right after the report comes out, it's like a week or two later, a story comes out in the New York Post that a fire has broken out on the roof <laughs> on a Saturday night because someone in the in the basement is using an old fireplace. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in New York in October, but I assure you there's no reason to use a fireplace. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I thought, uh, oh great, they're burning documents. Occasionally yeah. you'll see fires breaking out at central banks when this happens. And it's funny, I went back later to get the New York Post article and the paragraph about the guy in the basement was gone. Wow. It was that's why whenever those things like that happen I have to I have to print it out and and archive. So, so just to explain to people, the chimney hadn't been used for decades and obviously didn't work right. So the fire department had to uh, go Apparently out. Apparently they had a hundred fire trucks down on Jeez. In Wall Street, if you've ever been in Lower Manhattan, where the New York Fed is, you can—I can't even imagine how you could squeeze in a yeah. hundred, a hundred fire trucks. But um, and the sto- the part of the story is still up, and so it was clear that they were concerned. So then they decide they announce, okay, we're doing this audit. Now they've been saying that they were going to do an audit for twenty years. I've lived through so many times when they said, "Oh, yeah. it's a new thing. We're going to do an audit," yeah. you know, and then the audit doesn't work and it never happens. Anyway, so they go through this process in two thousand seventeen where they try and do an audit, and of course they can't. And what they come up with is FASB fifty six. And FASB 56 is basically converting the United States from a constitutional republic to a fascist government without, through an obscure accounting policy is really what it is. It's quite remarkable. Whoever figured it out was quite clever. But Mm. basically, they got the Congress, both Senate and 
and House, Democrat and Republicans, and the White House to agree to creating a exception to all financial disclosure that says a secret group of people by a secret process can come up with a secret set of books and move whatever they want out of the official books into secret books and not tell you what they did. Mm. And what that means is the financial statements of the U.S. government are 100% meaningless. Mm. They're just a joke. Now, it was really funny because the, the head of the Federal Accounting Standards Advisory Board who promulgated Statement 56 came out and said, well, our only other choice was to redact the entire U.S. government financials. Mm which is basically saying the national security state has now taken over everything and everybody. Yeah. And it was very interesting when you, when they promulgated rule f- uh, uh, 56 statement, 56, the um, it wasn't a rule. Uh, the, they sent it through sort of comment, a uh, comment period with the other agencies and HUD basically wrote a comment that says, Oh, we need this. Well, the question is why does a domestic housing agency need to have secret books? <laughs> <laughs> the S- SEC yeah. said no problem. So here is the United States government, which is the largest issuer of securities in the world. And they're tearing up all disclosure and running secret books and saying we can still be the largest securities, you know, issue in the world. And, and our books are meaningless. Mm. Now, it gets more interesting because I don't know if you know what happened yesterday. Yesterday, no. But I was going to ask you first about when they published, um, you've been talking about this before, that they redacted half the report. Um, what happened was uh, Skidmore started asking and, and pushing to get more information. Mm. And the inspector general published the final report that we have published at the missingmoney.solary.com website, where uh, – it was their comment and investigation on some of the undocumentable adjustments. Mm-hmm. And they came out with a report, and the title was redacted, and all the numbers in the document were redacted. <laughs> the title was redacted. And, you got to see it. I mean, it's up in the – we've made all of these documents available at missingmoney.com. Yeah, so, you took copies. That's clever. Yeah, yeah so so if you go to – if you click on 21 trillion, you'll see the links and the, all the whatever, but – um, this final document, uh, Skidmore sent it to me, and he said, can you do that? Can an inspector general publish a report where all the numbers are redacted? And I said, no, that can't happen. But I'm looking at this, and it just did. Mm. And I said, I never heard of such a thing. I didn't know such a thing was even possible. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's a loop, maybe because nobody thought of it, it's not addressed in the law or something. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Al. There are no underground bases. There's no secret space program. You yes. know, apparently they think we spent the $21 trillion on, like, going and getting our hair done or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a super big yacht. In space. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had my perm done on Mars. No, but uh, we ha- we have to add to we have to make newcomers follow this story. Uh, uh, you, you forgot <laughs> to add that before you published this stuff, you made sure to make copies so that uh, when they took it off, well, the, when they took this, it off, I don't think they realized that our links kept working because we had right. never linked to them. No. 
or we might have linked to them and then we we replaced it with the Solari links, but yeah. our links kept working because we had the whole thing linked. You took backups. Yeah, very we, clever. we had backups. And you told Mark Skidmore, let's not go public until we have full backups. Well, it was funny because, you know, he was so stunned. Mm. I mean, he was so stunned. And then he he did a couple of radio shows where the Department of Defense guy showed up and argued that Skidmore was wrong. And it was so funny because the, you know, I'm sure it was a public relations guy, not an accounting guy. Yeah, yeah. Because the Department of Defense guy made a whole bunch of really bad errors and Skidmore caught him. <laughs> nice. nice. It was so funny. Yeah. And part of the challenge that the Department of Defense had in the year of Obama with the $6.5 trillion in 2000, fiscal 2015, mm. within that $6.5 trillion, uh, a little bit more than a trillion dollars was in the army. Um, I'm sorry, of the 6.5 trillion was in the army, but of that 6.5, there was over two trillion that was just 170 transactions. And Skidmore kept saying, "How hard could it be to give me the data on 170 transactions?" Mm. <laughs> and he finally, the reporter who'd pulled the dirty, told us that he had foiled. Told Skidmore he had he had done a FOIA. Well, Skidmore kept going back to him and saying, "Well, what happened?" Just, just to, uh, FOIA is Freedom of Information Act. It's right. demanding uh, public uh, information. Doc- Not everybody knows all these terms, yeah. you know. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So. Um, so so Skidmore kept going back. Well, it came out that the reporter had never FOIA'd the documents and had simply written based on what the DOD sort of wink nod assured him was true. Yeah. Now, which is unbelievable because if somebody refuses to obey the law with respect to audited financials for many decades, why would you just take them on a wink and nod? Anyway, um, so, so, so Skidmore – submitted Freedom of Information Act documents. And finally, you know, they kicked it around for about a year and he finally got a response. And when I tell you it was pathetic Mm. and you realize, oh, they can't afford to, they can't afford to open the lid on this. So Mm. they did, they just, now here's what's really interesting, Al. I didn't know this until this last week. I was listening to, or one of the subscribers was listening to a podcast of an interview with Sidney Powell, Mike Flynn's lawyers. Mm-hmm. And what, of course, has come out was that the president and vice president, Obama and Biden, ordered that he be essentially set up and framed. And what came out who, in this. Who was set up and framed? General Michael Flynn. Yeah, of course he was. Everybody okay, knows. so Flynn was going in as the uh, national security director. Yeah. And he uh, and they wanted to make sure that he couldn't come into the administration. They wanted to get rid of it. And by the way, the real reason, I'm so convinced the real reason was that because I noticed this, it's not because he was uh, on Trump's team. It's it's because he had the audacity to speak in public about Daesh, which you guys call ISIS, ISIL, is a creature of the American deep state. He actually said this publicly before he, he, he ascended to office, and that's his death sentence, politically speaking. So I disagree with you. I think that that okay. was dangerous. Yeah. But I think Sidney Powell explained in this podcast what was his death sentence. Okay. Okay, let's hear. Yeah, let's hear. It turns out he was planning to do an audit of the intelligence agencies. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. Wow. 
which meant that he was coming in, remember, in the beginning of 2017, and, and 2015 is when they all moved the $6.5 trillion, and they would have moved a lot of that money right, through the intelligence right. agencies or with their help yeah. and with their bank accounts. Because so, remember, Eisenhower made the CIA the most powerful yeah. bank in the world. So if six point five trillion is, you know, disappearing, they're running, you know, some or all of the command structure on that. Mike Flynn is announcing he's going to do an audit of the intelligence agencies when the when the statute of liability isn't up on that six point five trillion. That's what Michael Flynn did. You're right, you're right, right. It's an extension of what I said. It's kind of the same thing, but right. He well, because what he was going to find was all that money went out and financed all those yeah, terrorists. Right, and and just attacking those guys is right, and and that's you know people can't square, but I can. Why neocons have taken over the Trump administration? It's it's obvious because when Trump lost all the initial people he had who who had some kind of disagree or agree doesn't matter. They had some kind of ideology they had some kind of they were not just careerists and when they are gone well but there's something else they knew how to manipulate the nuts and bolts of government yeah they knew the system in other words it's like trying to run a train without an engineer yeah and after uh flynn neocon after neocon after neocon in that position so it's like maybe either trump is being pressured or tricked maybe he's not aware or whatever, but they have managed to hide. Well, but here's the thing: both, you know, you had two factions fight over the the, and and here's the thing to understand, Alan. It's very very important to understand this. Mm -hmm. I just I really want to stress this is big, so I want everybody to think about this. This campaign is different than the previous campaign and all other campaigns mm. because the federal credit mechanism is the most powerful money spigot on the planet and that spigot now has the power of FASB 56 and it is a much more powerful spigot after FASB 56 than before 56 I don't understand what does this mean okay what it means is if you control the federal credit and the US treasury mm -hmm. that you can issue an infinite amount of bonds and use the money in any way you want in secret, including moving it into your corporations. Mm. You have the most powerful bond issuer and securities issuer in the world. You can infinite, you can, whether you're collecting taxes or you're issuing treasuries, and there are a whole lot of mortgage backed and other like Ginny Mae securities. So you can issue trillions and trillions of dollars of securities and take the money and move it black. You have an infinite amount of secret money for secret armies. Right. You have enough money to finance basically a leverage buyout of the whole planet. This is so interesting. It touches a point I want to raise with you today, but I want to do it at the end. In fact, I want us to rewind all the way now and go through some of the main... I mean, we can't even begin to go... Before I say that, people... <laughs> I've been delving into Catherine Fitz's uh, excellent publication called uh, the <laughs> Solari Report, because you very graciously send it to me. Well, so so the Solari Report is everything we do, but the, we do a quarterly and annual wrap-up. 
Right. And for the for the annual wrap up for 2018, we realized, look, we've got to take all the information on the missing money and put it in a hard copy collection because we can't depend on the internet. No. We've got to publish thousands of copies of you know, we'll collect all the, we had to do two volumes because it was so much stuff. And usually, as you know, our wrap-ups are very sort of beautiful and with lots of graphs. Yes. And because there was so much material on the missing money, we just made this one sort of black and white, not a lot of graphic ah, treatment so that we right, could right. just get it all in one place and out. Because what I wanted was I wanted for a serious institutional investor to be able to do due diligence with yeah. a two-volume hard copy and not have to depend on the internet. Yeah, they, they, I mean, these are books. But can people subscribe to these magazines? Right, so all you have to do is subscribe. Um, if you're a premium subscriber, you automatically get the hard copies. If you're a, Okay, so you, hang on. If you subscribe to your website, you get these reports. Uh, only if, you, if you're a subscriber for the hard copy. You can be a digital subscriber or a digital and print. Oh, okay. The digital and print get the hard copy. Now, if you're yeah. a digital, you can also buy them. You can buy as many copies as you want. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because so. I, I was going to say they're very – it's old school stuff. It's um, basically magazines, but with magazines with content, not like what right. people think about magazines today, <laughs> It's <laughs> which is just a big advert. Well, the way I say it is there's news, there's entertainment, and there's intelligence. Right. So we're interested – This is more on the intelligence side. Yeah, it's this, we're looking – to be a intelligence network of a group of people who help each other live a free and inspired life. So we're interested in intelligence. You know, I have no objection to entertainment. I love good movies and good documentaries. So we have... Yeah, a but even, even the entertainment in these magazines are information. <laughs> right, right. So we're trying to make you very, very intelligent. And But we're trying to make you intelligent. My theory is everybody has a purpose. Mm. So your purpose is between you and your creator. And mm. my job is to help you get a good enough map so that your use of your time and resources, you know, is effective for your purpose. Mm. And, um, you know, what, what really makes me angry is watching people's time and their resources being wasted or destroyed from bad information and being tricked. Right. So, you know, we're in a war and the war is for your mind. And, yeah. and the way you can harvest somebody is by giving them a lousy map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for your mind and your body, I'd say. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. both uh, physical. Yeah. But, uh, so to the point, Dan, um, Catherine is very fond. She admits she's very fond of timelines <laughs> and they are very helpful. And you have some excellent timelines. One timeline we can't touch today is the – and that got its own report – is the J.P. Morgan <laughs> uh, scandals. By the way, I checked out the list you sent me online. Uh huh. Beautiful thing. Uh, it's kind of the same timeline as in the report. Okay. But uh, in the report I'm getting from you, I uh, very much enjoyed the timeline of the GP Morgan. <laughs> Pretty unbelievable, aren't they? <laughs> yep. 
So uh, I've been enjoying, I'm amazed that they still uh, pay out to people. I would expect in the past, but they still... Why would anybody bank at a bank that did that? I mean, that's like hiring a serial rapist to be your babysitter. (laughs) Yes, that's what you're proving. (laughs) But I'm still amazed judges are judging them because I thought all judges were corrupt. But No, no, it's amazing how many hardworking, honest people there are. Yeah, yeah. Billions of dollars they've paid out. But anyway, that's that timeline. We can't touch that today. Okay. And and then there is this timeline of the... Yeah, you have this Solari calendar too. <laughs> yeah. You're very fond of timeline and I love very that. Very fun. You know why? Because it started with our litigation. I had a general counsel who yeah. started making a chronology. And... Um, right. Because we had 12 different tracks of litigation and 18 audits and investigations. Mm-hmm. And we started to realize that somewhere up the chain, they were coordinating between them. You know, they were not separate. Right. Yes. But we couldn't see the sort of the game unless we did timelines and connected it to the political events that were underway. Mm. And the other things going on at the Department of Justice, because it was basically it was the uh, the number two at the Department of Justice was coordinating between departments because you had uh, three different departments at the Department of Justice coming after us, and they were all taking opposite positions in the courts. So one was saying the sky was blue, and the other right. part was saying the sky was green, and they were keeping it all under seal so you couldn't have to recognize. Hello? Uh, taking contradictory positions in different courts. Can you hear me? Yeah, something happened. You um, went away. Uh-oh. Yeah, I, I sure hope this won't happen all through this chat now when we talk. No. So was that something on your end or is it... Uh, could have been. It could have been. It could have just been the internet. Anyway, so yeah. so they were they were taking these contradictory positions and the only way they could get away with it and the judges could get away with it was to coordinate at the very top of the Department of Justice how they were going to organize and execute their lies. Mm. And it became a problem because we were finally able to get one judge to resign through embarrassment by what we made public. And then uh, ultimately they had to unseal. And when they unsealed the documents, the most important transcripts disappeared because – you know, they were coordinating the lies between the different courts, and wow. they all knew it. Oh, the judges yeah. were in on the deal. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, but what we discovered was doing a timeline allowed us to see extraordinary amounts of things that you wouldn't normally see. Mm. And so if you wanted an integrated picture of what was going on in the world, you had to do timelines. So Yeah, I'm totally I mean only on a right. personal psychological level that is true. Let's say you make a diary or a dream book or something. Right. And when you get that bird's perspective, you, you kind of get the godhood perspective of what's going right. on, right? Because we lose ourselves in details all the time. Well, it's not just that, but remember the way the control systems, particularly the money and financial systems, are organized. Mm-hmm. They're organized to keep everybody in their niche yeah. and not integrate. Now, I'm a portfolio strategist. That's how I was trained. So I'm trained to integrate everything. And, um, you know, because when it comes to money, everything impacts everything. So if this industry is making more money over here, the money swings over. So you have to come outside of your niche. But what I've discovered is most people 
are see the world through their niche and can't integrate it with everything else. And that hmm. the challenge for me over the last 20 years is the financial people refused. I, this is going to sound ridiculous, but but literally there's kind of a rule that if you are in the financial world and you talk about the black budget of UFOs, your penis will fall off. Do you know what I mean? And so, <laughs> so, so, and, and, and it's you know, male-dominated, so that would be a… Well, but they have all these incredible rules to keep people from yeah. going there. Yeah. And the reality is you can't possibly understand the world unless you go there. Mm. So, so that's a way, a good way to keep people in checks. They have hundreds of these things, you know, mm. but you try and get people to self-identify with a culture that keeps them from integrating. Mm. But there is another timeline which uh, you call uh, what you call it the missing money timeline, missing, missing money, money chronology, missing yeah. money chronology. So those were sort of key dates around uh, the missing money because the. What you'll find is that money is stolen, and then people kind of forget. They get amnesia, and then they steal more money. (laughs) And then they steal more money, and each time they're putting in places, oh, we need reforms, at which point they put in laws that help them steal even more money. (laughs) Exactly. And it it helps if you go back and look at the chronologies to sort of pull things together and see them on an integrated basis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the missing money chronology in Chapter 5 in the report, is that identical to the one that's on um, your website? Uh, hold on, let me just check it. Uh, let me go there. Uh, uh, actually, which one is most complete? We'll go with that one. Okay, so... They both start at 1943. No, 1934. Yeah, this the last entry in the report is... 2019, actually. Ah, okay. So you got something that's a little bit updated. Okay. I guess I should stick to this one then. The last one is Lawrence Kutlikoff, publishing Holding U.S. Treasuries. Beware, Uncle Sam can't account for $25 Okay. That's... I got it. So um, I thought we could go through some of the highlights of this chronology. Okay, so I have much longer chronologies than this one. This one was designed for, um, it's in two places. It's on both the Missing Money website and then the wrap-up website. So mm. let me go to the missingmoney.solary.com and check. Yeah, that's the one you sent me. That's the one I've opened. So I'm at the one that's at missingmoney.solary.com slash missingmoneychronology. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the January 31st, 1934, and goes through, uh, there are 205 entries. Mm. And it goes through 2018, October 10th. Uh, It's so extensive. How many entries did you say? 200 and... Actually, it's a short one. It's only got 200 and I think about 220 is the... the... It's it's more in the harder copy report. But nonetheless, let's pick some highlights. And uh, so people understand this isn't something that started yesterday. It's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's a huge development. And then we can end on our current condition, which is horrible. Okay, beautiful. How much time do you have, by the way? Um, I have an hour and a half. Okay, it's pushing it, but <laughs> let's try that. <laughs> yeah. So where, what, what event would be the first one we should begin with? 
Okay, so... Uh, it, it starts in 1934, obviously. Well, yeah, because it was the Gold Reserve Act. You created the Exchange Stabilization Fund, which was the mother of all slush funds. Yeah. And there are a couple of legal authorities. So um, the creation of the Exchange Stabilization Fund and also, I don't have it here, but the creation of the FHA and the home mortgage insurance industry at the federal government, because between the the mortgage insurance operations, the FHA and later part of HUD, and then later Ginnie Mae, that gave you the ability to do the housing bubbles and play with the real estate. And that in combination with the exchange stabilization fund gave you the ability to create what I call the financial bazooka. Part of running a global reserve currency is you have to be able to play economic warfare in the financial markets and outpower everybody. Mm. And so part of that is black money, but the other is the ability to play black financial war. And um, and and the ESF, we have a great Solari report with Rob Kirby on the ESF um, because that's a sort of a piece to understand. So it was in 41 that the War Powers Act then uh, gave – even more powers to the ESF, um, but most importantly, started pulling back the money they seized from the Nazis into the ESF. Yeah, uh, have you? Uh, are you familiar with a chap uh, journalist uh, in the real sense of the word called Uki Goni? Yes, Uki Goni. He's Argentinian. Yeah, he he is the one who has uncovered all the Nazi assets. And he was threatened with his life, so apparently stopped giving interviews. But I'm going to try getting him on because he wrote a book about it. He works for, I think, not independent. I think it's Guardian or something. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try make him talk about it because I know this part of the black economy is still hot. Yes. It's still like it's 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 the only no no. You can talk about Hitler surviving. You can talk about <laughs> bomb and all that stuff. They don't care. Okay, these are ghosts today, but the money is hot. Well, I always say that the history of America is a history of them trying to replenish the slush funds. <laughs> right, right. So then the National Security Act passed in 47, yeah. and then in 49, we got the CIA Act. That means CIA and NSA, right? Right, but it between the 47 and the 49 Act, it created a black budget mm. and gave the the ability for the administration to draw money out of all the other agencies' budgets into the CIA secretly, and between the forty seven and forty nine Act, you put you put the CIA in charge of a combination of the federal budget money and credit mechanism and the loot through the Exchange Stabilization Fund. And when you give a government agency with the power of government the ability to kill with impunity and then to run financial accounts and financial fraud with impunity, with no taxes and no disclosure – you're creating the most powerful bank in the world. It is from the Game of Thrones. Which which has to attract psychopaths. Right. By its very nature. Yeah. You know, if you watch Game of Thrones, this is the Iron Bank. You created the right. Iron Bank. <laughs> right, right, and right. I just right. did a great Salir report um, because uh, Forrestal 
you know, basically part of getting the CIA Act and getting this mechanism in place required assassinating James Forrestal. And I just did a great interview with Dave Martin, who's written a biography on Forrestal, and I think it's pretty much figured out a lot about the assassination. Yeah, that's so interesting because people have speculated it had to do with UFOs, it had to do with JFK, it had to do with Antarctica, but it actually has to do with this. Well, all those things connect. Yeah. In other words... What what you see was there's a wonderful story which I believe is true um, of Eisenhower after what the mistake that Eisenhower made in all of this was he authorized the CIA to um, be in charge of security and therefore financing for Area 51 mm. and the CIA just went dark and wouldn't report to him about what was going on. And so one day he called them and he said, I want you in my office with a full report tomorrow. And they refused. And he said, if you are not here tomorrow, I am flying to Colorado, getting the first army and I am invading Area 51. Jeez. Exactly. Now, Eisenhower had the personal clout and knowledge of the military nuts and bolts to pull that off. As a general, yeah. Right. And without getting assassinated but in Mm. fact Kennedy didn't and so it's very interesting if you look at how Eisenhower briefed Kennedy about the black budget you know it was clear that Kennedy was privy to these tensions and what's interesting is right before Kennedy was killed in April he went to visit Forrestal's grave he had been uh, a protege of Forrestal yeah 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 and and there's a beautiful picture of him at Arlington on an unscheduled impromptu. Uh, he wanted to go visit Forrestal's grave, and you could tell he was worried that the same thing would happen to him. Right. Who who did you say was digging in the Forrestal case? A guy named Dave Martin, who's just published a book. Hmm. And what's interesting is I I believe that Forrestal was killed by. A uh, basically a partnership of the Rockefeller interests, you know, which was the Dulles who controlled the ESF and J.P. Morgan Chase, then Chase. So you had the Rockefeller line and transnational Jewish organized crime, who I would describe as sort of the air gun boys. Mm. And I think those two people, and it's interesting if you look at sort of the Rockefeller plus the um, the Ziocons. It's basically today's version of those groups. Yeah. And Rockefeller connected to German interests. Probably uh, Bormann was in the background there too. Right. So they that's the Nazi. So you basically yeah. had the Nazi, the Rockefellers plus the Nazi line and the and the and Jewish organized crime. Yeah. Right. And and so I think they were in partnership. Dave is much more convinced that it was the the sort of Aragon group, but if you look at how, um, you know, they were synthesized and what you needed to get that done, you need, you know, you needed, you needed Dulles, you needed the Navy guys, you needed both the, the Protestant and the Jewish lines to do that. Yeah. We had a guest on, uh, Tony Gosling. He's been, uh, we didn't go too much in details about that when I had him on, but he's, he's documented how 
After the war, the Nazis and the Zionists teamed up. As, right. as crazy as it sounds. As crazy no, as it sounds. No, because they had deals. The Nazis had deal with the Zionists all along. If you go back and study the history. Yeah, but that was from a master-slave kind of... Uh, but after the war, they were their own in their own power base. Right. And the last person they permitted to uh, extract of exile Nazis was the famous uh, case of... Uh, the low-level player they took out in Argentina. What was his name again? Um, I'm blanking on him, but it's the last case. They, it's a Borman? No, the, no, he was never taken. Right. They took to Israel. They took, um, and he, he wasn't in the loop anymore either. So they just threw him to the wolves. And after that, we you can't go after any more Nazis. It's not close Barbie. It's another guy. Obviously, Chris Bobby worked for the CIA. But uh, speaking of CIA, uh-huh. you, you call them a federal agency. Isn't the fact that they are the only private ones of all these agencies? And that's probably also why they are the central one that calls the shots. Well, here's the thing. The, the challenge with understanding the intelligence agencies is is you have a group of agencies who in many respects, from a financial standpoint, have gone out of control. Mm. And um, and then you have a financial mechanism where now, particularly with FASB 56, they're free to get money. And uh, whether they do it by, you know, organized crime or financial fraud or just through the federal credit mechanism and budget, and basically transfer it anywhere they want with no accountability. Yeah. And unfortunately, in 80, right after Bush came in, you know, Bush's deal with Reagan was that he would be in charge of department, basically intelligence and enforcement. So the intelligence agencies and Department of Justice. And what he did was he got an executive order promulgated that said private corporations could do highly classified uh, work as contractors, government contractors. Now, let's combine this. So you, you've created from 81 to FASB 56 mechanisms where you can borrow money on the taxpayer's credit or tax and move it through a, a corporate financial statement where it can be leveraged in the stock market. So if I have a company that's trading at a multiple of $10 and I can get the CIA to swing over a contract that's five years for $10 million a year that generates a $5 million profit, 20 times $5 million is $100 million. My stock goes up by $100 million. Mm. And that's part of the war we're seeing with these vaccines because you take a company that's never brought a product to market and give it a, a billion-dollar contract from the U.S. government to make a COVID-19 a vaccine and its stock price goes through the roof and you've got scientists at NIH who have royalties on that. Mm. So they're making, they're all making a fortune committing the taxpayer's credit, whether you're doing it black or white. Yeah. We had uh, George Webb on. He talked about how Fauci is one of these people who have patented. Well, um, remember the goal here. And you can see this in uh, in our latest commentary on the second quarter wrap-up. The goal here is the war on terror um, has sort of run its course. Nobody yeah. believes in it anymore. It's, it's no. lost its power. Yeah. So let me just read this quote that I used. Um, because what we're seeing is we're watching 
the health science is being used to build a police state. So if you can say it's a health emergency, then you can basically, you know, the government can proceed to do whatever it wants, whether it's based in science or not. But let me just read something. This is John Kaminsky on, uh, he's talking about the war on terror, but this applies to the virus mania. For endless war, you must have an enemy who cannot be caught, who is completely vaporous, therefore necessitating nonstop aggressive emergency measures, variously colored alerts, and tough talk for those who are unable to see the deeper meaning of words. The perfect enemy for a state that seeks endless war and strives forever to pull the wool over the eyes of its own citizens for purposes of endless robbery and implementing slavery where freedom previously existed would be an enemy who cannot under any circumstances ever be caught. Yeah, this is even better than the war on terror. Much better, because yeah. if you go back, there's a wonderful book called Virus Mania. I just published a book review about it. If you go back through in history, viruses are constantly invented and used as the air cover. It's the cover story. Mm. So if 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 the injections... Uh, if the COVID-19 injections and 5G kill a lot of people, oh, it's the virus. Mm. You know, if the global spring poisons a lot of people, oh, it's the virus. Mm. You know, it's the magic I'm now calling. What, what, do you mean, what do you mean COVID-19 injections? You mean the vaccine? I don't call them a vaccine anymore because under the law, vaccine is medicine. They're not medicine. Yeah, but there's no COVID-19 vaccine yet anyway. Right, but they're not going to be medicine. No, 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 obviously they're not. They're not medicine. So I've been calling them toxins. One of our cool. subscribers, <laughs> yeah, right. we had all the subscribers suggest names. Mm. I wrote an article called The Injection Fraud, which is very good. And it took me about 12 years to figure out how the injection fraud works. Mm. Um, but the reason they call them vaccines is because then they have the protection of the law that applies to medicine and the freedom. From liability and the support of the citizens, well, right? And so, so, but here's the thing: they're not, they're not medicine. The no. So I'll use the word toxins. The no. toxins are highly poisonous. They're very dangerous. And if you look at the kind of nanotechnology and nanoparticles and other stuff, you know, the bio waste that's in them and the stuff they're trying to get into us, mm. it's it's going to kill a lot of people. Mm. And But they'll be able to blame it on the virus. The virus, it's really funny. You know, there's all sorts of games that have been going on around the Social Security Trust Fund. I just read something that says the Social Security Trust Fund is going to run out of money because of COVID-19. It's like the magic virus. It can it can yeah. do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it can take away all financial, legal. I mean, do you have any idea how much money the insurance companies are going to make as a result of this virus? They've been able, everybody is collecting their health care premiums, but they've been able to cancel all the elective surgery for months and months and months. Mm. Yeah, so, and, and the long-term care. The long-term long care industry in New York is saving that us. That doesn't work. Yeah, that only works in America because you're the only country who has made business out of health. Right, 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 right. All of our files are free. And will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks.
But before we, we continue with COVID, I want to uh, wrap up a couple of other important points in the history. Because You mentioned the Reagan thing, uh, but that's in 78, I think. But shouldn't we talk about going away from the gold standard? Isn't that crucial here? I think it's yes, crucial. Yes, because, because you need... You need a fiat system that has no uh, exactly no grounding in a real asset. Now, what they did to replace gold was to basically enforce the equivalent of an oil standard. So, to buy. So, when was this? In seventy two? Uh, yeah. So, so Nixon. It was the Nixon shock that took us off of the mm. gold standard. But mm. by doing the deal with Saudi Arabia and sort of getting the oil standard going, they were able. You, you to to run a reserve currency, you really need to control critical real assets, mm. and the Anglo-American alliance has traditionally been able to control oil and food. And it's mm. funny we we did a wrap up called the Global Harvest where we looked at import export, you know which countries had food security, and mm. it's amazing if you add Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the United States, and the UK, and you look, it's a food juggernaut. Mm. It's quite remarkable. They've been undermining our food security. We used to have very good. Yeah. Still, uh, GMO is forbidden, but it's undermined and undermined every year, getting worse and worse. But remember, the goal there is to control you. So right. the more I can make you food dependent and credit dependent and oil dependent, stuff to make Norway oil dependent, um, <laughs> the the more powerful yeah. I can be. And yeah. that's what we're watching. We're watching an effort centrally. You know, it's I don't know if you've ever read Solzhenitsyn's uh, 200 Years Together about how the Bolsheviks went in and, and basically destroyed the Christians. Mm -hmm. But it's a very good look at what we're dealing with now. Mm. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Are there any points? Let's say we are at 1970 now. What would be the next big move in the development of the black economy? So what happened was there was an enormous kick-up in fraud. Once you got that 81 executive mm. order, there mm. was an enormous kick-up in fraud, uh, both Iran-Contra drugs and financial fraud in the 80s. Right. It, it got cleaned up, and then you came back and did the same thing in the 90s, but you added derivatives in the stock market. But it was it was the same players, the same financial engineering, but just much more sophisticated. You know, they got the real estate down in the 80s, and then they came back and did it again. It's and, amazing that so many of those players are still around. Yeah. doing their destruction. And that's because the Iran contrast, although it kind of went public, it never reached the masses. They never understood properly what went on there. I'm going to have a show just on that because it's such a huge and intricate story. Right. But people need to understand that was like probably the first brazen public move by these, this cabal, let's call it, call them that, this mafia, which is, they're not that secret. You know, many of who the players is, but I, I think it's connect, it's the same people who was behind taking down JFK. Right. Same people who instigated the national security state. It's, it's been the same mafia all along. So it's interesting. If you, if you read David Talbot's book on, um, on the Kennedy assassination. Mm hmm. He really nails the command structure on the assassination. It's the first 
and only book I've seen that really nails the command structure. Now, mm. part of it is because I so I know so much about that group. I have a he's very subtle and careful in how he writes it, mm. but he really has it nailed. And um, if you take that group on and you follow the financial fraud in the 80s, you know, and the Clintons jump in with the Bushes. I mean, the Bushes are there for the Kennedy assassination. And then the Clintons jump in with them on the 80s and you do a Iran-Contra. Yeah. Um, and then you get away with it. No, also, Clinton was also involved in Iran-Contra. I know that was Bush. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Papa Bush. Clinton was deep uh, in partnership with the Bushes. Because the Mena, Arkansas drug running was all, right. and the money laundering was, you know, and you had one of the Rockefellers out there. So, mm. uh, you know, the Clintons earned their stripes in the Iran-Contra, both the okay. drug running and the financial fraud. Mm. They were important operation. And there's this great story in The Compromised of Bill Barr uh, going out to Mena with Bush and helping to negotiate <laughs> <laughs> and Barr is now uh, again Attorney General, right? Yeah, <laughs> again, amazing. Well, you know, there's a little-known story. This is sort of Catherine trivia, but uh, I have an article called "Meditations at the Crossroads," which basically explains why I think Bush, when he went into the CIA, had my mother assassinated. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the stories of how Catherine first got on the outs with the establishment, mm-hmm. and. Um, was interesting because Barr went into the general counsel's office with Bush. He'd been at the CIA before, but he went back mm. with Bush. So I've always wondered, you know, if I could ever sit down at dinner with Barr, I'd say, hey, Bill, how'd my mother get on the list? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how did you get, what, what happened there? Uh, Is it a long story or? It's a long, you know, so it's, it's read the article and then we, okay. I'm certainly happy to talk about it next time. Sure, sure. Um, anyway, so, so, uh, but, but here's what's interesting. When, when you come back and you do the, the next round of housing bubble and fraud in the 90s, mm. something very important happened that's different than the 80s. And that was in the 1995 budget deal, the group in and around, uh, you know, the whole Rockefeller line had tried again and again to get a financially responsible basis for the budget. Mm. They really did. And what happened was you had a very ugly breakup in the 1995 budget deal you know the government shut down there was tremendous anger right right and that is exactly when uh according to the head of calpers largest pension fund in the country when he said to me they've given up on the country they're moving all the money out starting in the fall it was that 1995 deal that made them give up in the country and part of it was that Rubin invaded the exchange stabilization fund to pay for government operations and that scared them to death that threatened their whole stockpile Mm. and i think they decided okay we're engineering a financial coup and what we're going to do is we're going to bubble the economy we're going to suck all the money out and then once we've got all the money out then we'll basically turn to the American people and say, okay, all your retirement funds are stuffed full of phony baloney paper, you know, that we use to keep your false prosperity going. And so, you know, now eat yourselves Mm. and leave them high and dry. Mm. And the way I say it is they decided to take all the retirement money and spend it on space, 
you know, rather than pay for nursing homes. And that's exactly where we are now, which is why we're going yeah. into what I call the the giant reset. And so if you look at the process of the missing money from fiscal 1998 on, um, that and and all the things they were doing was basically shifting all the capital out of the existing systems and moving it into a new system and pushing the liabilities all back. Right. So, so, so if I get this right, um, the neoliberal economy's politic really was launched for seriously under Reagan, but under Clinton, they gave up on the green button, as you call it. No more green button, right. you know, turning it around and trying to pretend, you know, whitewashing what has been going well, I on. Took them a, I took them a plan. My job was to come up with the green button right. solution. And I took the plan back to them and they said, you don't understand it's too late. Yeah, because this was in in your heyday when you were involved here. It was when this happened, right? You was working. Well, I this. thought, foolish me, you know, I didn't stay in touch enough, I guess. But I really thought it was my job to come up with a plan to really re-engineer the economy bottom up that would work. Hmm. And um, and I thought I had establishment approval to do what I was doing. Hmm. So when they pulled the rug out from under me, I was stunned because sure. I thought I was being a good soldier. Yeah, but I mean, back then, just, you know, today, it's much easier to get access to information, uh, very hard to understand what was going on behind the scenes back then. Well, but if you read the Dylan Reed story, and that's why I wrote it, it was very clear what they were doing. Biden passed the law for private prisons. They were dropping SWAT teams into neighborhoods where they were also dropped. You know, the CIA and Department of Justice is helping Mark market drugs like the dark yeah. Alliance story into yeah. neighborhoods and then they're dropping SWAT kids SWAT teams into those neighborhoods and just rounding up kids and stuffing them in private prison where they're making uniforms for the Department of Defense mm. you know the Department of Justice created a private company slave labor it's slave labor because mm. they pulled the you know the the um uh, the defender offices, the, they put the money on the defender offices so these kids couldn't get representation. So they had to cop a plea because otherwise they'd say, we're going to send you away for 30 years. Mm. So the kids would all cop a plea even if they were clean. Mm. So it, it it was a lot of financial sort of engineering and taxpayer money, but it was absolutely, there's no different than what we're doing than you know, Hitler was doing a slave labor. Now, I'm sure the Department of Defense would say, well, the food's better and, you know, they don't die in two years from overwork. But <laughs> but it was slave labor. They're not in the sugar fields, but… Uh, right, but it was slave labor. And, <laughs> yes, I, it is. you know, it was funny. I kept saying to everyone, look, you can't… There's a scene in the Dylan Reed story where I come back and I go to the Colony Club, which is a wonderful women's club on Park Avenue, and… uh I run into, you know, I'm at a birthday party for somebody from Dylan Reed and, you know, all these people come running up to me. Dylan Reed has put them in prison stocks and they think they're going to make money. And I said, it's not going to make money. It's going to crater. The whole thing is really stupid financial engineering. It's not going to work like Section 8 housing. Get the hell out. Mm. And um, I was right because the stocks all collapsed. But, um, you know, you, everybody thought this was fashionable and I, you know, I said to them, look, if you're making money on slave labor camps, you need to understand that this model has a negative return on investment, which means today it's poor black people. Tomorrow it's going to be you. Mm. Okay. We still have some time to go, Catherine. Uh, I want to use you for all the time I got with you. <laughs> <laughs> so the next big event, 
Well, maybe we, you know, we can't cover a percent even, but I think maybe the World Trade Center in 2001, you know, 9-11 is important because people don't know that. By the way, the first time they took down the World Trade Center, there was a earlier terrorism thing. What was that? Did that touch upon any of the economic monkey business? Right. The one that really touched me the closest was uh, Oklahoma City because I was right. um, the Clintons and the Bushes were very active in Region 6. Region 6 included both the Arkansas office and the Texas office. And if you look at the mortgage fraud during the 80s, it was like a push Clinton crime family operation. And mm. uh, and as a result, you had a tremendous amount of defaulted multifamily mortgages. And our due diligence teams were going in to get the documents. And I remember a month or two before they went, I was thinking, uh, this is making me nervous. I don't know what's in those. You know, there's a lot of criminal liabilities in those files. Right. And right before our team was supposed to go in and get the documents, the documents blew up in Oklahoma City. Exactly. And I said, hmm, not good. And it was the World Trade Center approximately six years later. You know, if you think they blew up a lot of dicey documents in Oklahoma City, they really blew up a lot of documents yeah. in the World Trade Center. All of Wall Street got fabulous settlements with the SEC, et cetera, after they blew up all those documents. You, you say that the Office of Naval Intelligence office investigating them the undocumented adjustments at DOD was there and everything was lost, right? Well, a lot of the documents were up in New York for the securities fraud, but the, apparently the, the Office of Naval Intelligence that was investigating the what was then $3.3 trillion, now it's $21 trillion, but then I had it up to $3.3 trillion, mm. they were investigating those undocumentable adjustments, and apparently that blew up. Now, for several years in a row, the Army also said they couldn't do financial statements because their offices that did their finances blew up, which is strange right. because I had been told their offices were in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> it's convenient. But why let a good blow up go to waste? Yes. Um, I think the big one, though, is yeah. if you look at the securities fraud that was used to steal that $3.3 yeah. I think that's why Cantor Fitzgerald and some of the big treasury dealers were blown up. Right, right. And I also heard that in Pentagon there was an internal investigation, and unfortunately where the rocket hit was exactly where that office was. That was supposed to be the ONI. Which That was the ONI office. That's what I was told. Oh, okay. That's the ONI. Yeah. Yeah. So you had the SEC and the FBI in New York on the securities fraud and then the, the government dealers. Cantor Fitzgerald at the top of one of the buildings was the largest treasury dealer right. in the in the world. And of course you had Solomon. You had Warren Buffett's Solomon Brothers and you know Warren Buffett is deep in the mortgage and treasury market. Yeah. And we all know from the normal reporting of 9-11 critical journalism that Building 7, the magical building, was also full of right. officers right. that were investigating crimin uh, economic crimes. Right. Well, but I see a straight line from the Kennedy assassination through the World Trade Center. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you if you go back and you look at the groups that I think in partnership killed Forrestal, it's basically the same groups that did the World Trade mm. Center. And mm. it's funny because every year we choose a movie of the year, 
Mm-hmm. And our movie of the year last year was the TV series Yellowstone. And no, oh, I haven't seen that. And huh. in in Yellowstone, in the second season, the two dirtiest guys are two guys called the Beck brothers. You know, and I hate to give it away, but the Beck brothers are just you know they're kidnapping people's kids, they're poisoning their cattle, they're killing people, they hire mercenaries. You know, they're just it's really old school crooks. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because one person said to me, "Beck brothers, hmm, is that a play on Bechtel?" <laughs> Who's that? Bechtel is a big defense company that used to own Dylan Reed. Oh. Anyway, it's out in San Francisco. <laughs> right, so right. Uh, uh, anyway, so so there's one scene where finally one of the ranchers decides, okay, we're, I'm going to have to deal with the Beck brothers. And uh, the guy who goes in to kill one of the Beck brothers looks at him and says, you know, before he kills him, he says, why do you guys do it? Why did you force us? Why do I have to kill you? Because, and the Beck brothers looks at me and says, no one ever fights back. Mm. Mm. And I said, at the end of last year, I said, 2020 is going to be the year when we're going to have to deal with the Beck brothers and we're going to have to fight back. Or we're going into slavery because they've yeah. had, since, since the 47 Act, you know, and moving the Nazi loot into the exchange stabilization fund, they've been able to get away with it again and again and again. And we keep yeah. all pretending it's not happening. But yeah. at some point, organized crime takes over everything and you have no law. Exactly. And and today, the word for organized crime is multinational corporations. Right. But we're going to get to that. Okay. I'd say the next point and by the way from your mouth to god's ear uh, so i think god knows already <laughs> yes yes let's hope he li- listens not just hears now the next point here is um, that i think we should point out uh, one question about enron why did they take down enron why didn't they get away with it I think they Enron. My theory on Enron is they were being used to launder a lot of the money that was being pulled out of DoD and HUD. If you look at the contractors who were running DoD and HUD, they were sitting on the board of Enron, mm. and I think they'd finished sort of laundering that money through. And one of my questions was: Did the Enron guys had they just gotten sloppy and gone too far? Um, you know, they without more money to launder, they couldn't. Uh, or did the boss threaten to out them? I don't know. Uh, because he was taken down. Funny. The number two guy, well, they said he died. I'm not sure that's the case. It was funny. Oh. I was on a plane a couple months later, yeah. and um, the stewardess wanted me to go up to first class to use the bathroom. So I pulled aside the first class curtain and went walking up and walked right into Ken Lay. He was just walking down the island first class on this domestic flight. Wow. And it was either Ken Lay or his twin. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, because I, I took one look at him and I thought, oh my God, I guess he's not dead. Anyway, right. could have been his twin. Yeah. Oh, that was after he should be dead. Yeah. Yeah, so right. I don't I don't think Ken Lay was really dead. Right. But the number two guy was interesting. In August of 2001, I said to uh, sort of the people I was working with, something big is about to happen. And the reason I said that was they'd been pressing very, very hard to get all the cell towers up across the country. 
and the mm. project managers had been working around the clock. And then suddenly in August, they fired them all. And it was clear from the cell phone service that it had nothing to do with cell phone and it had everything to do with entrainment and mind control. Mm. And then um, the number two guy at Enron suddenly quit uh, on a very unexpected basis. And I said, uh-oh, they clued him into the next phase and he wasn't on board to execute. He was like shocked. Mm. something and so then i said something really big is about to happen and then of course we rolled right into september uh, uh to 9-11 yeah so uh, speaking of 9-11 cynthia mckinney has been one of those few politicians who have tried to address that and she has a role here too maybe we should point out that yeah so cynthia mckinney was fearless in trying to out the missing money she she grilled Rumsfeld in testimony and trying to out the sex slave trafficking, which mm. was very related to the missing money because you can't, you know, it's control files uh, that really help you engineer that kind of major movement of money. Exactly. So she went after Rumsfeld on the missing money. She went after him on the sex slave trafficking. And she went after Carlisle on some of the you know, if you look at everybody who was reinvesting or helping to manage that money, I suspect that Carlo was probably one of them. But, uh, you know, when they really went after her and tried to get her unseated, she got unseated, then came back in, but then they got her unseated again. Um, but she was very courageous and fearless about that. And And the great thing about Cynthia was she understood, you know, you can't have a human society if you keep breaking that line. Mm. If you allow your system to be run by organized crime, you know, you're not going to have a human civilization. You can't, you know, there's certain mm. things you can't do. Mm. And so she really made a, a tremendous effort to, and then she ran for president on Green Party. And I think her, that was her effort to pull together sort of a coalition uh, yeah. group of all different factions. Mm. Of course, we've covered already the HUD thing, uh, the bubble of the housing market mm -hmm. and all that stuff, so we can pass through that. Are there any, before we come up to modern times now, are there any other big developments here worth pointing out? So the Great Reset is finally happening, oh. and they have a plan for it because the central bankers met at Jackson Hole in August yeah. and approved a plan. It's called Going Direct. And basically, going direct means you can cut out most of the intermediaries, whether you're re-engineering government or injecting credit cards into people's bodies so that you can yeah. really go direct. And you can hook them all up to the Department of Defense cloud, and you don't need all those layers of intermediaries in between because you can just manage them directly. But, but, but is this about uh, uh, turning the button green? No. This is about uh, pulling the subsidy. So they're pushing the red button. But turning the button green means you're going to re-engineer the model. So, yeah. so basically, if you're sitting there looking at the global reset, you have three choices. You can change the model. You can depopulate. Um, what was the third one? You can change the model. You can depopulate. Uh, or you can you know, reduce massive numbers of people to poverty yeah. or a combination. Now yeah. – you don't necessarily have to reduce to poverty if you can bring out breakthrough energy, but that means you have total hardware control. Mm. 
Yeah. So when you look at any financial situation, you look at two sides of a balance sheet. On one side, there's the sources of money. And then on the other side, there are the uses of money. So you you get a hundred thousand dollars, you buy a house. The house is an asset. The hundred thousand was the source of the financing, right? So a mm-hmm. lot of what we've been talking about is the source. But my guess is while all this is going on, you're watching fantastic investments in new technology and you know, which includes Silicon Valley. I think a lot of Silicon Valley was created with technology sort of laundered out of the black budget. Mm. Um, and they've, you know, got <laughs> to Silicon Valley, everybody's walking around and saying, Oh, we're really successful because we're really smart. And no, you're really successful because they're trying to keep everything secret. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, so that's how you keep it secret. Oh, Mark. Zuckerberg is a genius. My ass, he's a genius. They're trying to keep it secret. So they're mm. all hiding behind, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's blue eyes. Mm. Anyway, so you see fantastic investments in technology, fantastic investments. I think the space program continued to grow. Mm. They just took it secret and fantastic investments in underground bases and underground transportation. Yeah, And so people say, we don't have infrastructure. I said, don't be ridiculous. We have fantastic infrastructure and, and we spent a fortune on infrastructure. We have a very high-tech infrastructure program. You just can't see or use any of it. No, right. no, exactly. Right. So, so there's a whole world of um, investments and assets, which is really be kept secret. And one of the things to understand about that secrecy, Al, is it's phenomenally expensive. If I'm going to build an underground base that costs X, if I'm going to do it in a way that keeps everything secret, you know, it's going to cost 10 to 100 X. So we spend a fortune on secrecy and that's why there's such a big investment on misinformation, disinformation, and sort of keeping everybody distracted and in their box. And, um, Secrecy, if anything, is the biggest investment of all. Yeah, yeah, that that's costly too, cost money to maintain. But I have a very relevant question. Uh-huh. The number is now up to fifty trillion, right? Well, here here's how I describe the number. So I, that's not the question. That's just a that's just a preface to the question. But is okay. is it uh, <laughs> that much now? How how much is it? So you have twenty four to twenty nine trillion on the bailouts, and you have twenty one trillion on the missing money. So that takes you to fifty trillion, um, and that doesn't include what you have on the naked short selling and pump and dump of the stock market. Mm. So it's probably more, but fifty trillion is a conservative number. Right, right. And then a very important point here is that when it's the term is what undocumented adjustments is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that means it can be both on the plus and the minus side, right? Correct. So, so some uh, of that. So, be- but doesn't logic dictate that then it has to be twenty-five trillion lost money and twenty-five trillion spent money if the number is fifty? Let's say it has to balance out, right? Not necessarily. Oh, okay. So here's the thing: if if one of the reasons you always run down an anomaly in the accounts is a thousand dollar anomaly can be hiding a million dollar game and so in fact you don't know let's say we sold and laundered two trillion dollars of oil sales from iraq in that 21 Mm -hmm. trillion 
Mm-hmm. So that would mean, let's say, 19 was stolen with fraudulent mortgage and treasury securities and $2 trillion was laundered in. Well, one person would argue, so you're not missing, you're only missing $19 trillion, you know, because that $2 trillion was a was laundered in. So it's not missing, it's a, it's a plus. Right. You know, it's missing from Iraq, but it's not missing from the U.S. It's a, it's a right. $2 trillion benefit to the U.S. Right, right. Well, it's missing from the white economy anyway. Right. $21 trillion could be, in theory, a much bigger number or a much smaller number. My guess mm. is the number is bigger. Yeah, the real number is bigger, right? Yeah, that's, my, that's guess my guess too. Yeah. And I'm not including if you look at the quantitative easing that's been going on since last September, September with the going direct plan, I'm not even including that. So we mm. could take it higher. I mean, you you could theoretically between the stock market games and the naked short selling and the what's going on with the going direct plan and the reset, you could take it up to almost 100 trillion, is my guess. Yeah, what many people don't know there was a new law Past, I think he last year that made it so because back in 08 um, they had to ask Congress for permission to print money out of thin air <laughs> now in last year it's auto automated so what people don't know they think the crisis started with COVID no it started last autumn and there was many it wasn't it wasn't a crisis it was a plan yeah but it wasn't reported much in mainstream propaganda media but some independent media reported this because they said geez this means we're up for a new crash because now the printing press money (laughs) printing is going automatic all the time right into the market to keep it uh, from collapsing. That started last autumn. I saw reports on it then. Right. And they said this means we're due for a crash. And then, of course, Corona very handily comes in and takes the blame. But the crash started before. And ever since, they've been just... Is there any... Do we even know how many trillions are pumped into uh, as quantitative easing? Well, we know, yes, we know what the Fed says. If you if you listen on um, the Solari Money and Markets, John Titus has been uh, joining me, and we've walked through very carefully what the Fed is saying and what it, it's showing in its accounts. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's everything. But because there's no audit of them, right? Right. So they can well, say what they want. There, there is an audit, but it's uh, – it's an auditor under their control. It's not the congressional right, audit. Right, right. Um, but he has to cook the books, basically. Okay. Mm. Well, if you if you look at the people who've been doing their audits, if you look at the experience I had uh, of those auditors with government agencies, I would, I would trust what they were saying. But that's another topic. Anyway, yeah. um, I should mention one of the most frightening things going on at the Fed is they have BlackRock running a lot of the going direct operations and plans, including the corporate bond portfolio. Mm-hmm. And now we have a professor at Columbia and Forbes trying to promote the idea that BlackRock should be allowed to point the auditors for all these different companies. And that is totally frightening because then, you know, essentially you you get the largest money manager in the country being able to engineer fraud at every corporation they invest in using our money. Mm. It's pretty frightening. Mm. Anyway, so so we know what the Fed says on the record that they're doing, and we have that information. And it's quite sizable and significant. 
So if you if you listen to the last six money in markets, we go through all of it in detail and and we regularly update every week or every other week on what are the changes that in all the Fed accounts and what's happening with the money supply. And of course, mm. you know, when you are that expansionary of the money supply and and banking deposits, the question is how are you going to offset that monetary inflation in the in the last 20 years, we've offset it with global labor deflation, with globalization. That game's over, and now the way they're offsetting it is by shutting down the, the independent economy. So if you shut down all small business, that's highly deflationary, and that offsets the extraordinary monetary inflation you're engineering through the Fed. Yeah. We'll um, discuss that a little too, but I I, I want to get to my question first. Basically, it's a hypothesis I have or, or an observation, and I want your take on it. Okay. Um, under Trump, the military budget, where people imagine it go. No, nothing goes to the soldiers. This is straight to the war industry. Yeah. So it has had record high numbers and. Despite that, uh, the Trump administration launched record high Pentagon budget numbers. The Congress said, no, no, it's not enough. We want you to give even more. <laughs> so it's been like just going to the roof. Mm -hmm. And now it's almost a trillion, 700, 721 billion for 2020. Now, this is just the facts. My observation is this. Two things have happened after you and Mark have forced their hand of audit. First, this insane increase for for a budget which is already too... It was already... Go back 10 years is already too much. America has more military spending than I think its next 10 countries together yeah. combined. Uh, don't arrest me on the details, but look it up. It's something like that. And despite that, record high. And the second thing that's happened after you forced the audit is the Space Force is launched, which is a very convenient whitewashing of the what was classified hitherto, which now can be integrated into the Space Force and nobody's any wiser. Well, so I, th I think, hang on, I'm almost done. Okay. I think there's a connection here because if they have been using the black budgets to loan their money, basically, and they now fear that that can be harder. Wouldn't it then make sense just to blow up the white budget and continue spending that on black things? Because when we had Michael Schratt on, he explained to us how they were charging like several thousand dollars for a spike, right? Yeah. So they can still finance these things partly by making parts of it white uh, hence the Space Force, and uh, making parts of it into the official budget, you know, $1,000 for a spike. And then in, in case the audit could uncover some of these top secrets, what's your take on that? So FASB 56 means you don't have to play games anymore. You don't have to launder money through the Clinton Foundation, and you don't need Epstein, and you don't need $600, you know, hammers. Now, I'm not saying they might not keep doing that stuff for a variety of different reasons, but mm -hmm. now you can do things very efficiently through government accounts because you can do whatever you want. And so you don't need to go to all these extra steps. You know, it's all part of getting rid of a lot of the intermediaries. So, so, so you have to account one more time for what this is, this new 
development. Right. So what it means is there's whole layers of middle management you can cut out. I mean, I would have told I as soon as FASB 56 was passed, was adopted, wasn't passed, it was never legislated. But as soon as it was adopted, I could have told Epstein it was a dead man. He, you know, his wow. life was over. I could have told him that in a flat second. Yeah. Um, it was shocking that he didn't realize. So they don't need to, to blackmail people anymore? They, they didn't need a money laundering network. They could just do it straight through government accounts legally. Or so they said. Uh, no, no audit. No, because they, FASB fifty six says they can separate money out into secret books, in whatever amount they want without any disclosure whatsoever. So they don't they don't need wow. to launder it. They can just launder it right immediately through government accounts. So if I get this right, uh, the Fed can just print as much numbers in a computer that they want, and they can extract that to finance anything. And nothing on this is on any official book uh so i would that's a little bit of an oversimplification because okay what you can print and create gets complicated but the reality is at the end of the day the answer is yes Hmm. because if you look at all the ways they have of getting or creating money uh particularly now that the banks have you know they dropped the reserve requirements to zero Hmm. so yes they can they can create an infinite amount of money and spend it secretly with all the powers of a nuclear arsenal and government now but let me go back to the ballooning of the the defense budget the yeah. line military had been starved for money uh you know during the the prior 10 years so the military really was falling behind and part of the challenge of running the reserve currency it's a real balance between getting the financial benefits of being the reserve currency versus the cost of of running a global military and you know so so when the sterling was the reserve currency and when the dollar first became a reserve currency the key to that was controlling the sea lanes so you had to have a global navy now not only do you have to have a global navy but you have to have a global satellite and space program as well so it's getting a lot more expensive now for years you know we got in the 70s the first global constellation of of gps satellites 2010 the russians got theirs up um, and now just in the last year or so the europeans and the chinese have gotten their up so this is this is a competition that's getting a lot more expensive. And now- yeah, yeah, but you, you're speaking as if this money goes to the soldiers. This, this is goes straight to Lockheed Martin and, right. and and people like that. Right. Well, the soldiers are. So it's still a part of the. Right. Oh. Right, but you you have two problems. One is if you look at the scope of work of what you've got to do to maintain the reserve currency, it's mm. much bigger and more expensive than it was 20 years ago. Because you were a unipolar power, now you've got a multipolar. That's number one. Mm. Um, but number two, one of the reasons you have, if you look at the Russian military-industrial complex, they are much more financially productive than we are. And one reason is for many, many decades, we've used the military-industrial complex to just hire everybody and buy everybody up. We didn't want to be yeah. financially productive. We wanted to no. just soak everybody and everything up. And mm. now the problem is we're going to have to start becoming productive. And right. that's, right. you know, that's, that, that's a good thing, actually. Yeah, there are many. I mean, it, it's for the wrong reasons, but but at least uh, it, it can cut down on just you know some of the corruption. Well, here's the question: 
and that is, can anything which has been this financially unproductive and, and wasteful, can it become productive? And I don't know that it can. Mm. Back to the green button. Right. Right. But what, what do you think about the space force then? Well, Trump did the right thing. If you're going to stay the reserve currency, you have got to assume, you know, the, the problem with space is it's a prisoner's dilemma. If you don't control, then another guy will control and they will be able to shut off access, which means, you know, if, if you allowed another force to control space, then you are going to be controlled on the ground by that force. Yeah, that's, I don't buy it. It's a force dichotomy. Look, look, they said the same. That was the excuse for the national security state after the war. Oh, the Soviet, if, they, if we don't, they do. Look, you could, do, you could just ban altogether any uh, nefarious warring in space on a global level. The Russians are saying the same thing. Oh, the Americans are taking over, so we have to do it. But how do you enforce that? Because the Chinese at this point, I don't see how the Chinese get to the point where they trust us. No. If I was the Chinese, I wouldn't yeah. trust us. No, of course. And, you know, with the Israelis integrating into our national security apparatus, we're not trustworthy. No, no. It's what the Russians said. The Americans are not agreement capable. No, that, so, that, that's true. I mean, so, uh, under the current political climate in <laughs> It's all our, everyone is our bandits. So. Right. So you have, you, this is the scorpion and the frog problem, and nobody wants to be the frog, and you got too many scorpions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I just did that interview with Richard Dolan. The reason I did it was so, as I said, it, the, the U.S. Department of Defense has a $738 billion annual budget, and then on average for the last 20 years, a trillion dollars of undocumentable adjustments. That's almost $2 trillion, mm. and they just admitted they don't control their own airspace. Yeah. So what's the value of a U.S. Uh, at least, at least uh, as far as the public knows, I mean. Right. In reality, I think they control everything, but on the white side, no. Right. So as far as we know, those are their black side spaceships flying around. Yeah. Yeah, that's been my position all the time. Right. So, but to me, that's the question, and this is a financial question, because it relates to the sovereign bond, and we have to talk about what happened yesterday, and that is... Yeah, is is that the BlackRock thing? uh, No, that's the Oklahoma thing. Okay. Who who controls, whether it's the information sovereignty, the financial sovereignty, or the airspace sovereignty, who controls? Who is that? That's the question, and we don't mm. know. And I find it ridiculous that we should live on a planet and not be able to, you know, especially with the kind of research that you and I have done, not be able to answer, give a definitive answer to that question. Yeah. I mean, that's why we keep having these conversations. So what's that to do with… slowly trying to chip away with it. Yeah, but what happened yesterday that's re- relevant to this? Okay, so here's what happened yesterday. The Supreme Court reached a decision in a case that I would describe as a fix, you know, the fix is in. This thing should yeah. normally have never gone to the top of the Supreme Court, but it did. Mm-hmm. A, uh, an, an elderly Oklahoman was uh, uh, led off of a rape charge on the theory that the state didn't have jurisdiction because the whole part of the state of, of 
Oklahoma should really revert to ownership by the Indian tribes. Wow. And so Tulsa, the entire city of Tulsa, is now, according to the Supreme Court, part of an Indian reservation, giving the Bureau of Indian Affairs superior jurisdiction in that area over all the sheriffs. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So they just took half of the state and turned it back to the Indians. Now, well, on, the, on the face of it, it doesn't sound too bad. I on mean, the face, it's the Indians. No, because yeah. it's not going to be the Indians. It's going to be the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And if it's the Bureau of Indian Affairs, what I would tell you is the CIA uh, and the Scottish Rite Temple on 16th Street in D.C. are going to control uh, the eastern part of Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> right. And the city. Yeah. Okay, now, what if, if you're 400,000 homeowners in Tulsa – what does that mean to your property rights? Yeah, but do, do, do they have their own laws or something? Do, don't they have to comply with normal American laws? I don't know. I, I don't, for all I know, those 400,000 people can be told to leave tomorrow. Like rape isn't banned in, in Indian territory? It sounds weird. Isn't what banned? Rape. Uh, because this was a, the, the symbol, the test case was a guy who was accused of rape, right? Right, but I, I don't. I think the goal of the case and the reason it made that far up was they wanted to play this game. Mm. This is all part of the "quote unquote" reparations game, right? Where they use, you know, we're going to undo historical wrongs, and the question is, if you can move half of the land of the country out of the entity which the creditors have a right to. So if all the American pension funds are full of treasury securities and you take half of the land and you move it back to the Indian reservations where it can't be grabbed by the creditors, mm. what does that do to the value of a treasury? Right. Yeah, that could be a brick. I don't know. I don't think anybody yet understands what this exactly is going to mean in practical terms. No, it's going to be very interesting to see how stuff develops in the future as more and more is unraveling and they have to be more creative because I totally agree with you when you say, no, no, there is innovation in America still. <laughs> it's just that it's the criminals <laughs> who do it. I'm amazed. Right. Like, like the COVID-19 thing. It's, uh, it's an amazing successor to the war on terror. Yes. It's so, it's so ingenious. But uh, BlackRock, we're not still clear on that. So BlackRock is an asset manager. They, they manage money. And they are one of the largest, they and Vanguard are the two largest index funds, run the largest ETFs in America. Mm -hmm. And what happened was in August 2019 at the meeting of the central bankers in Jackson, Wyoming, you had a group of central bankers, one from Switzerland, one from Canada, uh, one from uh, Stanley Fisher had been vice chairman of the Fed, but then uh, chairman of the Israeli central bank. He's a dual citizen, dual passport citizen. They're now all at BlackRock. They invented the, the global reset plan going direct. Mm. It was approved, and they're sitting at BlackRock. BlackRock's been hired by the Fed to, uh, to manage some of its portfolios and do some of the, the trading for it mm. and money management for it, which has profound conflicts of interest. Mm. And um, so you basically having the Fed turning over wide powers on its behalf to a private money manager. Mm. Okay, we have one more case to discuss, but it's going to be uh, a reasoning for, okay. for the question. So I had uh, Robert Bonomo on, and we made a show about economy called The Money Game, 
where he tried to explain to us how modern monetary theory works. Uh, very important to understand, folks, it's not a policy, it's an analysis. And I'm assuming, Catherine, you are familiar with the German economist called Richard Werner? Uh, yeah, not well. I know who he is. Well, I, I love him. He He argues that the only way to save... The system is to have local banks, community banks, stuff like that. But that's another story. So he has more or less proven the mon modern monetary theory thing going on. And uh, he's the one who launched the uh, term quantitative easing. Uh huh. And I think he has the solution how to turn economy green. Uh, I mean, the green button to reset everything. Now, he said that... Uh huh. Part of the problem here is that the banks are printing money out of thin air and that it works because they are taking it from the future. If they had taken it from current production, which is what people think about when they think about money, they think it's tied to real assets, but it's not. It's projected into the future. Right. Actually, not just uh, the, uh, in, in time, in future, but also in space. If we were getting money from other planets… Right. Is, let's say, let's we expanded the, the space of where we operate. That's another way where modern monitor MMT can work because, again, as long as it's avoiding tapping into what, what's going on in the re real economy right. on, the, on the street. So he said that uh, that's what's going on. And then the Bank of England came out and admitted everything. And then they said, but the solution... The solution, and this is official, you can, people can look it up, is, no, no, not community banks, just to give us more power. <laughs> so what we want to do, we want to have a blockchain economy, centralized, controlled by us. Obviously, if you then, if your name is Catherine Fitz and you speak out, we can just delete everything, right? Right. Zero points in your account. But not only that. And, and now we're getting into old school, like Christian fundamentalist conspiracy theories, because they also want a chip under your skin and they want to launch UBI, which isn't really UBI because UBI is without conditions, but they want a blockchain based UBI to everyone, uh, a chip under your skin, and you have to accept vaccines. Toxins, not vaccines. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Right, toxins. It's a fraud to call them medicine. They're not medicine. I know, I know, right. I know. And there are still actually vaccines out there, but these are toxins. So all this stuff is suddenly tied together. It's like the worst nightmare conspiracy so, movie. So or let something. me describe it this way, because I think their their name of going direct really expresses what they're up to. Mm. So we've had an economy uh, twenty or thirty years ago where the idea was that. The market would be allowed to set prices for many things. And so if I want to buy a pair in the United States, I don't need to know the details of what everybody around the world, you know, how, how much time or effort it takes them to grow the pair or how much they'll pay to get mm. the pair. I just need to know it's 35 cents to me. I can take it or leave it. And so prices mm. are a communication device that allocate resources. Now, uh, that's not the only thing going on in the economy, but basically the theory was let's let prices do a lot of the communication and, and resource allocation. What happened is you had a group of people get together and say, we'd rather run it centrally and AI and software uh, 
allows us to do essentially it's it's a high-tech soviet economy where we say okay every person is allowed this much energy and this much you know other stuff and we'll let the ai and software uh control and manage everything according to the rules we set so it's a rules-based economy um and you're you're letting things be communicated by the top-down rules you want and controlled by the top-down rules, and you're not depending on markets or, or real prices. And, mm. and you know, part of monetary, modern monetary theory is saying we can print as much money as we want to rig the prices in whatever way we want exactly. using AI and software. So it's the difference between – now – We've never used capitalism because we've had so much going on that's essentially organized crime. So we're moving from an organized crime model or what I call the central banking warfare model to a… A rigged capitalism, won't you say? Call it that? No, it's not. There's no. There's nothing capitalism okay. about it. It's all technocracy. Okay. It's basically a high-tech, sophisticated Soviet model. It's central control, central… No, I mean, I mean where we're coming from, where we're coming from is a rigged capitalism. No, because… It's not, it's not capitalism. Capitalism allocates money based on productivity. Yeah, I mean in the past. We've been allocating, <laughs> we've been allocating capital based on you know who, who has the best organized crime operation. I see. Mm. So, yeah. okay. you know, I, I could go into this, but I, I'm tired of watching people call organized crime capitalism because I think sure. capitalism could very much be part of the solution. I think we ought to try it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Ron Paul argues the same. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I agree totally. Mm. He's totally right. Mm. So, too bad Rand isn't going to be president next. Mm. Um, that would be pretty wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, so so I, I think where they want to go is total central control, and they think they can do it with AI and software. I don't think it's going to work. And part of that is basically changing the model of the individual human from a sovereign individual, you know, under divine authority to basically a natural resource, just like an oil deposit. And transhumanism is about persuading people that they're, you know, that they're a resource to be exploited as opposed to a sovereign individual. Um, And there's such a thing as divine authority. Part of the injectable credit cards is to have them resonate with the smartphone instead of resonating with nature and living things and the divine intelligence. Mm. So it's a very dark model. And the reality, just to, you know, to come back to my money manager self, the single most profitable industry you know, in the entire history of the human civilization I'm aware of is slavery. Now, they canceled the African-American slave trade uh, when they did because they really had trouble perfecting collateral. Now, with digital technology, they figured out a way to perfect collateral. And so now they want to go back to slavery. Hang on, what does that mean to perfect collateral so if i was a plantation owner and i owned a bunch of slaves that i had financed through the alabama banks who were who were reinsuring their positions or rebanking their positions off to london mm-hmm. so the city of london has financed all these slaves at a, at a value of 50 percent loan to value so let's say it costs you a thousand dollars to buy the slave at auction the bank gives you the equivalent of mortgage financing at 500 Mm -hmm. and you put 500 up well let's say the commodity markets um, go down suddenly slaves can only get 500 dollars at auction you sell Mm. the slave west get the 500 dollars pocket and run off and leave the bank high and dry 
Hmm. And the, the city of London kept losing and the banks kept losing money because there was no way to send your slave trader out and say, well, that guy's really my slave. Hmm. But, but if you put a digital ID on everybody, whether it's a quantum dot or um, right. something you inject with the toxins, you know, now you have a way of perfecting t- collateral. And with right. mind control, you can go back to slavery and, and manage it on a global basis. Hmm. But you've got to put in the hardware, whether it's the satellites in the skies or the smartphones that you get everybody to carry around with them or the or the injectable credit cards and IDs in in our bodies, you've got to get the train tracks in place to do a technocracy and do a technocracy where essentially the human beings are slaves. Right, right. So that's uh, part of the reason why they are crushing. Because America, everybody thinks of America as that's the cradle of, you know, you can make it, you know, uh, good for innovation, good for pioneers, building yourself up. All that is gone because my worst nightmare is the corpocracy, which we are right. fully in now all over the world. And and it comes in two versions. It comes state-controlled, like in China, or it comes privately controlled, like in America. Right. And at the end of the day, there's no difference. Yeah, I mean, it's just interest, it's just powers. And what people don't realize is that the problem with, like they say, oh, so many new jobs under Trump. Yeah, shitty jobs, low-wage jobs, slave jobs, corporation jobs. And the problem is when people are tied up to a corporation as a slave, as a low-wage employer, they will start voting politicians who protect those corporations because they're afraid of their own job. Right. And there will be no more opposition left. Let's say 20% are are not in the pocket of the corporations. How will 20% manage to to rebel against what's going on? You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I know the problem. Mm. We had a lot more running room if we'd been willing to do something about it in 1998. But Mm. so I've been describing the problem very clearly for many decades. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I just keep... uh, Terrible. Um. I think at this point, they're the exact, well, did you look at the Minneapolis map? And this relates to one of the posters at the Solari.com. No. Okay. So what I'm going to have to do is send this to you mm-hmm. on the homepage. You'll see a poster, my 21, 2020 and constant amazement. Okay. On the homepage. Okay. So I'm looking at the tunes. Oh, my constant amazement right next to yeah, it. Yeah. So click on that poster. Yeah, the map of opportunity zone. I'm supposed to click on that, right? Yeah. Mm. So I had done that GIS software tool at Hamilton, which is what started the litigation in the first place. And then, so there was a group in uh, Minneapolis that mapped all the, and I, I was stunned when this happened. Mm-hmm. This group made a list of all the addresses and all the buildings and businesses that have been harmed or destroyed by the looting. Mm-hmm. So we put them, we got a little program called Ahoy Maps. And this kind of software is real cheap now. It used to be really expensive, but now it's real cheap. And we loaded up all the data and put X's. If it was a local business, we put a red X. If it was a national or international business, we put a gray X. And then we mapped the opportunity zones. 
Now, being from Norway, you may not know what an opportunity zone is. No. An opportunity zone was created in 2017 in the process of doing the tax bill. And it said Mm. that somebody like a tech billionaire could sell their stock, which had a low cost basis. Mm. And if they rolled it over into an investment in an opportunity fund, they didn't have to pay capital gains taxes. They could defer or avoid them altogether. Mm. So... You know how they all sold their stock in January and February and got out at the high? Mm. You know, so Bezos sold $4 billion. Yeah. So take a look at what I just sent you. An article by James Quaid. Right. By the way, I thought you were the only one writing for the report. No. But you have other people. We too? have other people write too. Mm, okay. So James is on our team. He, he occasionally writes. So I want you to look at the map called Lake Street Damage, a closer look. Mm. And it's got a series of maps. I want you to look at the second map. Mm. So I I see the St. Paul riot map, the COVID-19 party, Fed tracker, map of opportunity zone, list of the buildings damaged. Should I go up or down? It's the second map. This is a well. Do you see something that says Lake Street Damage, a closer look? But I see the map of opportunity zones. No, here's... A lot of pink areas here. Oh, and Alaska. Alaska is just one big opportunity zone. (laughs) (laughs) And I hear they have UBI there from their oil. So they're not suffering. Right. Okay, so this is a map of Lake Minnesota or something. Okay, so what you see going across with all the red... Hello? Remember, red is local. You disappeared again. Can you hear me? Uh Uh-oh. So you're back anyway. Okay, so... So so, I see a red line, um, like... um, So all those red X's are local businesses. mm. And they're all along Lake Street, which is a... An older, like, 1920s houses neighborhood, high minority, small business. Okay. The yellow zone are opportunity zones. Mm. Now, I took one look at this, and I said, that is not a looting pattern. That is a low-cost redevelopment plan. Okay. Because what you did was you just destroyed all the buildings and small businesses that you want to buy out cheap. Oh, so this is a map of where the looting was going on? Yes. And I took one look at that. Ah, and it dovetails with the small businesses. Right. So what they did was they used looters to destroy and burn out all the small businesses and and local property owners. So now they can go in with their opportunity fund money and buy up really cheap. Yeah. And it's easy to redevelop because it's been destroyed. Yeah. And they're going to get lots of government money to say they're saving the neighborhood. So that was not a riot. Right. And and it's just corporations replacing um, uh, small businesses. Well, that is, that is, my guess is that is the intelligence agencies and the deep state using government money to basically destroy and get all the small businesses out and the property owners out so they can come in and buy it cheap. It's going to save them a fortune. Yeah. If you had to buy all that real estate and then tear it down Mm -hmm. or buy out businesses, it would cost you – they're going to lower their costs by 90%. And all the cost of paying the looters and all the people who did this is all in the government. You know, it's all FASB 56 money is my guess. Yeah, I, I don't even know if they have to pay the looters because usually they take them from covert law enforcement. They already have salary. Well, they're already the drug. So it's probably just a job. Well, but if you look at the layers they had, 
Mm-hmm. From what I could see, they had a layer of the sort of local drug gangs, but then they mm-hmm. had a layer of infrastructure engineers, you know, who would who would set the stuff to burn the buildings down, et cetera, yeah. you know, or bring in the bricks. Then they had a layer of mercenaries who were sort of protecting the operation. Then they had a layer of professional organizers mm. and actors, you know, like Antifa and BLM, all those people are on the payroll. And then they had locals who just were encouraged to kind of show up. So there were a combination of many layers, but if you look at how much money they were probably paying, because they did, the looting happened in in 50 to 100 cities at the same time. So mm. this is a big operation, because it and wasn't... I've like seen, were- uh, yeah, but I've seen uh, like reports and, and interviews with uh, uh, real protesters, and they've identified many cops, because now you can use masks, right? And... Uh, before they they wanted stuff like Antifa before because they use mask right. uh, normally right? right but now because of the COVID they, it's so much easier for them to infiltrate any kind of uprising because they need to taint the uprisings as violent so that they can smack them down because they know there will be a bigger uprising in the future when right. Americans realize what's going on right so they have to start. Um, Undermining it right. and uh, combining with this, it's it's just brilliant. Well, it's social engineering yeah, but it's on steroids. Than that. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than that because okay. if you're going to roll out a digital currency that's global, right. you need – no train can run unless the train tracks are in place. Mm. And the goal of the opportunity zones is to build out the train tracks, the hardware. Mm. So you've got to get the telecommunications and the bandwidth into the neighborhoods, mm. um, but you also have to get the injectable credit cards into the final inch. That's so. So whether the opportunities are the final mile and the injections are the final inch, do you see what I mean? Right. But it's all one integrated hardware. Right. If you look at all the locations for the Federal Reserve in the United States, you have twelve banks. Um, you have twenty-four branches and one. Uh, board headquarters for 37 locations, 33 of those had violent riots or protests. Mm. And my guess is they all look exactly like this. What you're doing is you're you're making money on the real estate to build out the, the smart grid you need to do the currency. Mm. Mm. And uh, they also do it uh, the normal way. I heard on uh, Jimmy Dore show D- Dylan Radigan, mm-hmm. who was booted from mainstream media because he was too honest. Mm-hmm. He explained how they, during this COVID thing now, what they do is that they bring people out of work, then they swoop in, uh, take the best uh, businesses that's yep. viable in their eyes, yep. buy it very cheap. And then uh, when everything is rolled back, normal people have nothing right. and the corporations have everything. It's it's the usual way they do right. it. This is just a more, even more sinister and elaborate way of doing it. Well, they, <laughs> when they approved the going direct plan in 2019, it was August 2019, it's mm. clear they set the private equity guys up like AKR to figure out who they wanted to buy and right. were all ready to swoop as soon as they started. Right. 
But you know what this means, Catherine? There's not going to be a green button. They they invented a new button, and that new button is slavery. Yeah, but here's what I – it's a much longer conversation now, but I think whatever they're up to is going to fail. And that's why I think it's contingent on all of us to come up with a way to uh, do the green button mm. because we need that vision when they finish failing. Okay, so it, it, it like it will be in our hands at that point. Yes, it's first of all, we are many; they are few. Yeah. If you look at all the evil being done on this planet, we're implementing them for it. Maybe we should stop financing it, and maybe we should stop implementing it. Mm. You know, we all thought we could implement it and finance it and enjoy our lives in the middle of the road. Now the middle of the road is going away. So. Yeah. 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 You know, we've made them that much more powerful. Okay, there's two ways that this can happen. One is by a revolt, but usually uh, the worst element takes over after a revolt. The second way is to just ignore them and bypass them and create an alternative, right. hang on, an alternative economy parallel. But they have banned that. They have outlawed just us exchanging values Precisely because it threatened their economy. Sure, we still have some uh, crypto coins working, for example, but it's it's not legal to blend it with the white economy. And the way things are going, they're getting more and more totalitarian. So eventually they will just probably just shut down all alternative currencies. What do you think about that? I think... What they're up to will fail, but not because of what we do, although we can do a lot of things to encourage their failure. Mm -hmm. I think it will fail because they will kill each other. Mm. They are incapable of creating a philosophy and a culture Mm. that can manage a planet. Um, And if you look at some of the things that they're trying to do, so one of the things I think they're trying to do is create a financial system which can operate on a multi-planetary basis. Mm. And that's the right thing to do. In that sense, what they're trying to do is right. And the reason they can't engage the rest of us in it is they're trying to keep everything secret. So the secrecy is not going to work. It can't work. Um, They've got to come clean. They've never figured out a way to do that. So I think they're going to fail. Mm. But it's not because of what you and I do. Now, I have to tell you, as 7 billion people says, you know, we're not going to help you implement a global slavery system, they would fail. Mm. So we do have the power. But, uh, you know, I come back to the fact that if you look at what they're responsible for and and where they need to go, uh, are we prepared to come up with a way to take care of those responsibilities and get there? At the same time, Hmm. you know, so part of this is the rest of us taking responsibility to come up with seriously productive alternatives. Hmm. So that's what we should do in part two. Hello? (laughs) You there? Can Uh, you hear me? Yeah, there you are. You fell off. Yeah, the last thing you said was part two. So so we should talk about that in part two because I have to go. Right, right. Yeah, next time you mean. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, let's do let's do that. Let's have that on the agenda. But for today, uh, it was a little depressive note we ended on. on but <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it was. I, but you have to, okay. So you have to promise me you'll go to Soleri and listen to my interview with Thomas Meyer on the story of Gideon, and and it explains to you how we're going to win. Okay, so that will be for the next time then. <laughs> Excellent. I am an optimist. Yes, we have to leave leave hope, otherwise yeah, things yeah. get worse. No, I'm an, I'm absolutely an optimist, but hmm. 
you know, I always say, uh, I had a pastor in Washington who loved to said, if we could face it, God can fix it. Right. So, right. step one is facing it. If if you think facing it is too depressing, then you're locking us into failure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's all also about waking people up because if they knew what was going on, of course they would say no. But right. scaring them, you see how uh, it took what twenty years for the war on terror to fail. I'm afraid it will take. Well, it goes faster these days. There wasn't internet back then. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm giving them five years before people realize the vaccine, you know, the the virus hysteria thing. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll be around. We'll I hope. see. Okay. Thank you. Many thanks. It's Ka- always a pleasure. Okay. Have a great day then. Thanks, thanks Al. Al. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 And that's our show today. Now, regarding ending it on a depressive note, do check out me and Catherine's attempt to inspire and motivate people uh, in our, I think it was the previous show called Solutions in a Battle for Humanity. Because it's so, so important not to be consumed energetically and emotionally by all the corruption and decay out there. If you let that darkness touch you on the inside, it has won. Your duty as an aware human being is to let your light bulb on. You know, the more light bulbs are lit, the more enlightened the collective becomes. So in your personal life, in, in your, on your inside, strive for happiness, though accept sorrow when it is inevitable, and strive to spread happiness, and strive for our collective purification. Even when systemic corruption really starts with the individual. Enough preaching. Let me just remind you that we have a present at all podcast platforms. I still don't get all these people at YouTube who think we disappeared a year ago. Apparently, they're not aware that we are continuing to release new shows every second week at the podcast platforms. Why, why, Why not YouTube? Well, simply because... We don't have the resources to make videos. So usually what happens with YouTube is that we dump (laughs) a bunch of shows in a short span of time and then there may be a huge break again. And that means that all video platforms suffer, do not get regular releases, not just YouTube, but also uh, Odyssey and Rumble. So the only way, so if you, if you're not patient, then go to any podcast platform and look up Forum Borealis. Or better yet, if you really want to get the latest at any given time, then uh, throw us a buck and especially crypto. We take crypto now. You know, this, they say it's crashing. They say it's worth nothing. Okay. Give us your crypto. If it's worth nothing, if it's a failure, if it's a scheme, whatever, fine. <laughs> you can dump it at us. For us, that's even better than dollars. So, and then you get access, obviously, to everything and always at least 10 unreleased shows at any given time after the principal one in, one out. Also, great news. We now have, for the first time, a way for you to stand fully in the loop. 
We have both a Telegram channel and a news mail, and there's no spam, no ads, no plugs. The only thing will happen is that maximum once a week, normally once every second week, you will be informed of new releases. Whether they be only to website subscribers or to the public on either the podcast platform or the video platform. So that's the complete update that you only get through Telegram or the news mail. We still sporadically update some stuff on, on the other places you experienced it online. But these will be the absolute. And by the way, if you're already subscribing to a website, you are on the list. And everyone who subscribes to the website is automatically on the list. So those of you who are, don't worry about that. That's it. Again, thanks to Catherine. And thanks to you for listening and staying with us. I've been your host, Al, reminding you that the price of freedom rises when the demand falls. And don't wait to join the freedom battle until it's called treason. Be seen you. Number one.